Welcome back to This Is Hardcore Podcast. You just heard Dead Last from Long Island. The track is King's Will Fall. And this is off of a record, Where Do We Go From Here, on Streets of Hate Records. John Scanlon, one of the most important people currently in East Coast Hardcore, doing amazing work in Long Island with the AMH shows and... Just in general, not only as a terrific hardcore person, but as a active promoter, active musician. Somehow this is the first time he's singing in a band. And, you know, there's a good amount of talk saying that this is going to be, in general, a year where we start seeing a return to a more classic style hardcore than previous years. And if Dead Last is any indication of some of the new music coming out, I think that 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 theory has some wings. So, awesome for John to be in this band. Great fucking band. And Streets of Hate's another one of these labels that just quietly just goes and keeps putting out cool shit. Make sure to support Dead Last. Support everything Scanlon's up to. The AM8 shows and uh, The Fight, which is like this fucking incredible band that adds to what we're talking about. Where it's more of a classically sounding band. Bro, from a new era. And so, yeah, great way to open up the show. Thanks. We'll have links if you want to check them out. It's a one Bandcamp, not Spotify. So make sure you support DIY True Hardcore. I was tempted to do either a personal one-on-one solo mission recap at FYA, but I didn't want to beat everybody's head up on FYA, FYA, FYA. And um, I was also mad tired. <laughs> Let's just say that. Let's just be fucking keeping a hundred. I was mad tired. Um, I got in Tuesday. Thought I'd have time Wednesday, Thursday. Didn't make it happen. Almost came home from work and rocked out something quick. But I didn't want to half-ass it. So sorry we took the week off. Obviously, resolutions being what they are, I'll have to make up for it with a extra just because I wanted to make sure this stays weekly. I know that you guys look forward to the episodes. Sorry to disappoint when they don't come out. But that's the way it goes. There was no episode last week. I can't reverse the time. And this is what it is, as they say today. Now, you know, before we go into our guest, I got to break down what's been going on in Philadelphia. It's just what we do. And mad love to those who do not live in Philadelphia for being honest and Pushing either forward. I have people say, oh, yo, I usually skip the first 15 minutes. Especially that fucking Greg fucking Mongoloids love skipping a whole fucking. It's a weird one, but that's what the fuck he does. So most people who listen, thank you for listening. Philly Hardcore Shows, you can check us out at phillyhcshows.com. Philly Hardcore Shows is not a collective because we, minus Strange Chris, aren't vegan nerds from a bygone era. It's a... Uh, Myself, Mr. Bob Wilson, Chris X, it's also Alex Bradley, AXBX, but it's also the people that just come and help out and ties in again back to why we have our guest Kevin on tonight, but Philly Hardcore Shows isn't just a Joe Hardcore thing, it's a Philly thing. This will drop, and tomorrow, or today rather, you can go to American Street in Philly, which is 
used to be the hood, but like a three blocks from where a very distribution was uh, located at for many years. R.I.P. John, great guy. Um, Suntile, Wild Red, Standstill, and Fanfare. If you're looking for some knock loose or all out war heavy metal shit, this ain't it. Softer show, but Bob, he's multifaceted, that Bob. So check out the fucking show tomorrow night. American Street, Original 13. Next Friday, January 28th. Madball, Powerhouse, Debt Before Dishonor. Now listen, folks, I, I don't like every time my fucking things change. Some of these motherfuckers really break my balls. The guy from Next Step Up, you know what? He's not a jerk-off. He's a grown-ass man with a real-ass job, and one of the guys can't make it in time to make their set because he's working late on Friday. So Next Step Up isn't going to play, but instead of just saying, hey, fuck you guys, you can't play, JR has a band called Secret Society that's been brewing. They're going to take an SU spot. Also, early on, Freddie got hit up by his boy Will Shepler. Those of you who don't know Will Shepler, you got to get wise. Long history in AF Madball. Just one of the fucking Keystone members really pushing those bands in an earlier time. Will and Scott Roberts. Scott Roberts, who was in Spud Monsters, played for a little bit in the place of Evan and Biohazard. Did actually a fantastic job doing the Biohazard. And you've seen this hardcore. He was the guy who stepped up. Scott and Will Shepler have this awesome band called The Take. A little oi-influenced punk. They're, Will hit up Matt, um, Manball to jump on. Freddie said, yo, can we hook him up? And I had to change the flyer. Then the next step up thing happened. So, yeah, little changes. But the whole show was Manball, Powerhouse, Deathport Dishonor, Raw Brigade, Secret Society, The Take, Payback, Risk. Be there. The First Unitarian Church. Shows like this don't happen often. Make sure you support this fucking shit. I don't know what's up with these Fridays, but we got a bunch of them. Bob. This this fucking Bob puts on a show. One of my favorite bands is also from Long Island. Been around a couple years now, but I still call them like a new band. Hangman. That's right. Hangman boys are back. Reign of Salvation. Carbonite. Yo, the first show for that band, Let Live It Down. If you haven't checked them out, had a... Um, Played the opening track on an episode. Fantastic. Probably the best representative of if someone went back and tried to mimic but put a nice little take on the original integrity sound. Fantastic. And um, this fucking guy, Zach Elmer, is a fucking big mouth loser from AC and the Down Beach. That's my boy Zach. His band, Not One Truth, playing. Check it out. Saturday, February 5th. That's like Saturday, not Friday. What am I fucking chooch? Saturday, February 5th, we got the Philly Mocha with Hangman, Rain Salvation, Bob John. We also have Gloves Off. That's our boy Cody. Chris X got this show. It's fucking Gloves Off, the record release party. Um, For me, um, Cody, if you guys aren't hip to him, Cody Clark, he was just on the Richie podcast post-america podcast check that shit out this show is gloves off on site model prisoner greater pain grace and dumb ugly saturday february 5th the pharmacy that's in south philly it's a chris x philly hardcore show me i first thought it's like fuck we got two shows but then i was like fuck look at us out here shining with two fucking shows 
You know, like that's what I want to see. I want to see shows for everybody. Big fucking goon guys, more classically hardcore guys. I want to see everybody have shows. I'm glad that we have the ability to have two shows in one night. And they're not that far apart, so you can drive or Uber or whatever fuck you kids do if you want to see, try to see both. I don't know if you can do it time-wise, but you never know. February 20th. We just announced it officially. Philadelphia. For those who don't know why we call it Philadelphia, I'll give a little bit since we're just talking for a second. Philadelphia was the split CD between Bad Luck 13 and Punishment. But Punishment, my band, if you heard us talk about it a couple times, and with Damien, etc. Our first show was February 20th, 2000, at the Kill Time on a Sunday. Headliner was Bad Luck 13. When I was looking for cool shows to do, and we were talking about doing Punishment shit, it looked a little fucked up. They'd be like, damn. 22 years ago to a Sunday, to the exact old day of the year, fuck it, we're doing a show. Boom. So, Dennis's birthday, Dennis and his brother Jermaine, their birthday was a couple weeks ago, and they both turned 50. These twins are the fucking scary old heads from the Philadelphia hardcore shows. And uh, they're 50. Dennis wanted their birthday show. Couldn't make it happen on the exact day. But hey, you know what? Our boy's going to have a show. We're going to have a show celebrating Dennis's birthday. Bad Luck 13. Dude, my boy met from Too Damn Hypes on the drums. A lot of guys are coming back for that. It's going to be sick. Punishment OG lineup. We got some more bands on it. Just wanted to throw the teaser out. That's up. And because of the fact, because of the fact that now this shit's live, we're going to go live. I can talk about it, but it's not on sale yet. So if you're listening and it's like 7 in the morning, you're ahead of the people that are going to find out 12 when we drop this bitch. Saturday, April 9th. No good echo buys. The record by Gridiron. We're doing a record release with Tsunami, with Queensway, with Division of Mine, Invoke, and Carried by Six at the Polish Club. I know I jumped ahead because we have March, we got Drain, and we got Pain of Truth and Ingrown at the church Monday, March 14th. We got Converge that weekend before, which that shit's almost sold out. Make sure you go to that. Converge, Uniform, Thou, Full of Hell, October 10th at the Underground Arts. Make sure you go get them tickets. I think there's about 100 or so left. You don't want to miss that one. And also, we talked about it in the last week's episode, the From Within Showcase. Eco Strike playing their last show. Magnitude. Payback. Doing the record release. Shackled, Simulacra, Worn, Seat of Pain, Burning Strong, Final Right, Best Car, and Off the Tracks. This shit's off the hook. Make sure you support Philly Hardcore shows. We have so many more fucking shows to announce. I, I might have to stop doing this because it's already like fucking 30 minutes. So there it is. Support this shit. Support Philly Hardcore. Support This Is Hardcore Fest, which we are going to do in 22. Much love to FYA Fest and everyone who supported in 2022. Bob's already working on the next one, that little prick. And for those of you who sat there and armchair... Uh, said, oh, this show shouldn't happen, it's not safe, fuck you, you missed out, probably one of the craziest shows I've seen in hardcore, recent memory, and in one of the most pleasant atmospheres, 70 degree weather, hung on a beach with our friends, ate amazing Italian food, and you sat on the internet like a dickhead, so fuck you. All right, into our guest. It's safe to say, if you listen to the Christmas episode, you may have heard Kevin and I have a short little conversation. In this interview, conversation, you'll understand that Kevin, although not being a member of a prominent band, even though not being someone who 
name just sticks out, unless, of course, you go to all the shows. Because if you go to shows, you know who the fuck Kevin is. He's pretty a unique-looking dude in that he's so fucking normal. You don't think he's actually a hardcore kid. But he's one of the like most dyed-in-the-paint hardcore kids. Guy I call all the time. When I tell you some of the worst times of my life he's been there for me in the last 11, 12 years, absolutely fantastic character of a human. Makes me laugh. Will secretly, like in that Wu-Tang skit, inspect the deck where he sits back and he watches. That motherfucker's always watching. And when the stories get told, he's always got this side profile or this, oh, yo, well, you didn't see so-and-so do this. It's one of my favorite people to be around. He's been a behind-the-scenes player, helper, and a lot of shit that me and Bob wouldn't get done without Kevin. And so that on top of just wanting to talk to my friend and celebrate his 35th birthday, which just passed, I want people to know that, you know what, sometimes the impact you have in hardcore is not just in that you're at a band or you're a zine or you're doing this extra thing. Show up. Put some shit away. Help out. You know what they say? Like, use a little elbow grease. Have a little sweat equity. There's something to be said about sweat equity. There's something to be said about just ha- having an extra hand and its ability to immerse you into what we do. This shit isn't fucking easy, uh, unless it's the underground arts. Everything me and Bob and all the Philly Hardcore shows people do is show up, set up, run the show, clean up, break down. It's all on us. So the more hands we have, the, the stronger our team is, the better our shows go, and we can continue to do more shows. And to be honest, without Kevin Hare's input, without Kevin Hare's presence, without his extra hands, a lot of shit I pulled off wouldn't have happened. And so, let's fucking go. Once again, I, I if you didn't listen to the uh, Christmas extravaganza holiday show special, please go back. Our, our guest tonight was featured debuted at, at in his podcast debut then and I was absolutely befuddled amazed and mesmerized by his abilities to communicate on the podcast medium and I said we got to bring his ass back and it's 2022 and I am proud to have my brother Kevin Hare on the this is hardcore podcast Kevin thank you for coming on the show Thank you for having me. What an introduction. The, maybe the greatest introduction ever, anyone's ever given about me. Listen, I mean, this is your this is your cherry breaking moment. Even though now knowing that you had a wrestling podcast, <laughs> I kind of feel like, damn, I thought you were a rookie off the bat, you know? I had a lot a lot of practice on podcasts that probably not that many people listen to, so I'm ready for one that people do listen to. So for those listening, you're wondering who and what is a Kevin Hare? And for me, Kevin came as part of the whole entire uh, suburban Philadelphia package that began in the world of letdown, continued with Mother of Mercy, and this is Kevin is now someone who I actually get bummed out if he doesn't come to a show. He's like in in the in the team with everything that we've done. If you DM Philly HG shows at Instagram, more likely you're talking to Kevin, not to me. <laughs> or getting <laughs> you know? ignored by. Or getting ignored by. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it it comes to no surprise that sometimes there are people who maybe don't have all the, hey, I went on tour stories or, hey, I was in a million bands. But I don't know if there's someone in our like group 
that doesn't bring me more happiness, joy, or drives me fucking nuts than you. And <laughs> and on top of it, between all the all the funny shit that goes on, like the shit where you busting Sonny's balls behind his back, different things <laughs> like that. All that shit cracks me up. But just in general, you probably are one of the most knowledgeable people when it comes to bands and stuff like that. And I love that you're still keeping yourself hip to all these bands. And just a basic awesome dude that hangs around with us. I just wanted to bring you on the show. So I I, I personally don't know your origin story. One day you just, uh, just appeared. appeared in front of me. <laughs> and I had to deal with the ramifications of your presence. But uh, let's start at the beginning. Like, uh, I, 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 I can't wait to hear about you growing up, what your parents were listening to, how that turned into what you fell into. And since you listened to the podcast, you know the deal. So start going. Yeah. So uh, my parents, I grew up in the suburbs, uh, pretty normal suburban upbringing. I mean, honestly... It was so normally suburban that I didn't really realize that people didn't grow up like me because it was just so like normal. And uh, so my parents always listened to music and uh, they're a little bit older. So it was a lot of like 60s music, 70s music, um, the Beatles. My dad is really into like folk and blues. My mom is too, but she's kind of more a little bit more like uh, just the Beatles and that type of stuff. So the first music that I ever got into was like, that type of thing, the Beatles, the Beach Boys, whatever. And I'm talking about like second grade, probably third grade, that era. And like pretty early on, I became pretty obsessed with it without really realizing what I was like, that it would be like a lifelong thing. But early on, became obsessed with it and then discovered the radio. And at first it was like the pop local station. But then eventually I found Y100, which was the local alternative station. And from there, kind of my life changed forever. That would have been like nine or 10. And then I was just all in from there. So it was pretty, as far as like pre-punk and hardcore, it was pretty normal, I guess. But um, not the same type of music that I listen to now, for sure. <laughs> were you, what was your first medium, cassette tapes, or were you wet CDs at that point? I, I definitely had some cassettes. Um that was like what I would have gotten first, but I got a CD player, I think when I was like around eight years old. And so I absolutely remember buying CDs. Like I remember the first CD I bought was like a Beatles CD, but I can't remember ever buying tapes. So for all intents and purposes, we can say that CDs. I remember Y100. I'm actually surprised it went out to the suburbs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. I mean, to me, that was like gigantic. I, uh, you know, I know that some people talk about the local stations and they talk about ninety-four WYSP, which was like the more metal hard rock station. But for me, that was secondary. I was listening to Y one hundred all the time. And you talk about cassettes. I was doing that thing that I think that everybody was doing, where you just go buy a bunch of blank cassettes, and any song that came on the radio that you thought was cool at all, you would just scramble to try to record. And I would do that for, I mean, I wish I still had those tapes because I'm sure there would be a bunch of ridiculous things on it. But uh, I was just, you know, obsessed with just any anything that was cool, just capturing it and then listening to it back. 
Now, since your parents were hip to music, were they taking you to any concerts, or was it just listening to music at the time? It was mostly listening to music. The the only thing that I really remember them taking me to was like one a year the folk festival, which is like pretty close oh, that, to here. Yeah, that's pretty local. That's like a big. Uh, for those listening, the folk festival is like a giant annual festival for folk music, which is still pretty popular in Pennsylvania, actually. Yeah, and, and it's I mean, still huge. It's like in the middle of nowhere, near my, pretty close to where I grew up and where my parents live now. It's in Schwanksville, and like there's nothing around it, but. And it's really isolated when it happens, but at the same time, like it's gigantic. You go there and there's just thousands and thousands of people and it's a yearly thing. So it's like this really weird Pennsylvania thing that like nobody knows about, but it's also like gigantic. You know, that scene in uh, American Pie where like the band camp girl, uh, a friend of mine was dating a girl who was uh, a folk fest girl. We're sitting on this... <laughs> We're sitting in this porch. I know what you. I know the type of person you're talking about. And we're sitting in this porch. And mind you, it's me and you know Kit, and we're hanging out. And this chick went down a folk fest, <laughs> fucking hole. And there was no internet to like Google this shit and all. And so for a long time, I was just obsessed with the idea that folk fest was legitimately just crazy assholes like that girl who were just like obsessed with telling everybody how great it was and sleeping in a tent and rain and all this crazy shit. And I'm like, yeah, who the fuck would want to go to this fucking thing? <laughs> yeah, I know that on the, the same way. I mean, I only went to one of them, I think. And like, I remember Arlo Guthrie, the Alice's restaurant he played, <laughs> but, uh, but luckily I didn't really, my parents weren't really into live music, to be honest. They go to stuff sometimes, but they weren't really into that, that whole vibe. So I think we only went one time. But uh, I don't really have that many memories about it, except that, like, even just – I remember that there – I don't remember what they would be called, but there was, like, a younger band that was, like, slightly more alternative like that. And they were, like – I obviously, like, gravitated towards that. I'm like, this band is awesome. And then I got the CD, and it was awful. But, like – it was still just even then seeing anything live at all was just like, all right, this seems pretty, seems like something that I'm interested in. Now, for those listening, Kevin has zero tattoos. Um, it's too late to start now, too. One, one would, no, nah, you can always start. We'll get you one right in the of your fucking forehead. It'd be fucking great. But uh, I can't, I, ha- I can't believe, unless you tell me otherwise, that you rolled into, whether it's, high school or middle school and people thought you were anything but a freak, but not like a freak because you had a mohawk, but a freak, but like in that original Revenge of the Nerds movie kind of freak. <laughs> yes. So I, I would absolutely agree with you. I was that freak. I mean, I'm, you know me, I'm pretty laid back. So I was able to like get along with almost everybody, but I was too weird for all the normal people and I was not weird enough for all the like punk people. So I just had this really weird in between where like, you know, I, I was kind of outcasted by the normal people. And I was also outcasted by the people that like, I felt drawn to. So I kind of like, in certain ways, I just kind of felt I not like completely alone, but just like, what the fuck I want to, you know, I'm getting into this type of thing. And like, High school, I'm like, oh yeah, this will be cool. There'll be more people into the, into like, I was just starting to get into punk and uh, DIY and all that type of stuff then. And then all of a sudden, I have the punk people making fun of me for like wearing a Dropkick Murphy shirt and stuff, and I'm just like, shit, this sucks. I got nothing. So it was just kind of a lot of 
going in from there and just kind of discovering stuff by myself because there was, like I said, I was just this weird, too weird for everybody, I guess. So what were you vibing on when you got to that time frame? Like what were the records you were listening to was like, what was going on in the area? Um, as far as the, the records and stuff I was listening to, um, you know, everybody got into hardcore through punk or metal, especially a little older. I absolutely got through it into it through punk. So I was into like Green Day and Blink-182 and that type of thing. My first concert was Blink-182 at the Electric Factory. And, uh, but then, um, a major, like, oh, I didn't even realize it was life-changing, but it was life-changing was I was on the school bus and, uh, Brian Hexter, who, you know, he works for like R5 and does stuff with This Is Hardcore. We grew up together. Like I've known him, uh, him since kindergarten and he was like, check out the CD. It's it was a Fat Records Volume 4 CD. And he's like, check this CD out. This band is singing in German. And it was some band called Weezo. And I listened to it, and it was a punk song in German. I was like, this is insane. What is this? And that was when they were doing those like $5 comp CDs. And so I would go and just buy all these, like the Epitaph ones and the Fat Rec ones. And I would just like, all of a sudden I got super into that stuff. So I was into like, especially beginning of high school would have been like a lot of no effects, dropkick Murphy's operation Ivy. And then like started to get more emo. This was like 2001. So it would have been like the get up kids and Thursday and that type of stuff. And then from there started to get a little bit more into like variety of things, like a little bit of hardcore and then stuff like don't escape plan and converge and like, uh, the evolution style and level playing style of like the more like screamo type of stuff. But to me, it was just kind of all DIY. Like it didn't really, it kind of blend. Like I knew there was a difference of stuff, but it would just like, it all kind of blended together of just like kind of dis- discovering as much different stuff as I possibly could. And I was absolutely doing it to be like the guy that like knew all this stuff that nobody else did. I think I took some solace in that. How are you finding this shit out? Like, what was getting you hip? Because, I mean, Ebolition stuff, I mean, unless you were hip to the zines, was it, were you a Kazaa LimeWire guy? Like, where were you getting all your uh, info and your bands from? I was doing that Kazaa, LimeWire, SoulSeek um, constantly. Like, I was buying CDs for sure, but I would do the thing where I would go f- check it out, download it first, and then go buy the CD. Um, I was pretty early on message boards. Uh, there was like an old weird punk message board. I don't remember what it was called. I think it was called Nothing Nice to Say, actually. It was like it had to deal with like a, a web comic or something, but it had a huge uh, message board. And I was in high school, so like gravitated towards community. And then there would be like tons of music. People would just be recommending stuff all over the place. And then it was so at the time it felt so easy. Like I didn't know how easy it would get go on later on where it's like too easy to discover music now. But at the time, it felt like, oh, I have a computer. I can download all this stuff. If you tell me it now, by the end of the night, I can have a whole CD downloaded or whatever. And then, you know, you can just kind of constantly find out new music from there. And then you could burn CDs or you could go buy them or buy them online or just whatever. What attracted you to that kind of abrasive sound? I don't know. Uh, I think right away, like the the DIY type of attitude just made sense. And just like the idea of just doing everything by yourself and like 
being angry and faster. And it was just, I think it was just all those things of just like, I became very much, it's, I find this funny now, but in the high school, I was definitely like, fuck the radio, the radio sucks. And I went from like, to like not listening to any major label stuff. I think it was mostly just like the aggressiveness and the pureness of it. And just the idea of like, I'm going to do this thing and it doesn't matter if anybody else likes it or not. And, um, I think that that is really what drew me to it. It's, it's kind of hard when something becomes so ingrained in you, it's like hard to figure out why, but it just was one of those things that like screaming stuff took a little while for me to click, but at least like the idea and the aggression and the snottiness and all that, that was pretty early. So I guess my question would be, is this your only interface with the music is still just the internet and people in high school? Like when does this, or I should say, how long does it take you before you get hip to the shows? Like even at the small hall shows, because Pennsylvania, especially that area was littered with hall shows. Yeah. Like how long did it take you? A little bit longer. It took me a little bit longer than, than uh, some other people. I think again, part of it was like, like I said, people like, I didn't, I felt kind of weird going to that type of stuff. So, um, probably in the middle of high school, I would find out of local shows that were around my area. Like there was a place, the trap Y, which was a huge gym and there would be local shows there all the time. And you could go there on like a Friday night and there would be like three or 400 kids there for all local bands. And it'd be tons of kids from your school then a ton of people from like other local schools and stuff. And you would just go. And it was like almost like a different world because it was like five minutes away from my house, but you have just hundreds and hundreds of people there. And like I said, it was mostly local shows. I mean, that was where I first saw strength for reason and wisdom and chains and uh, some other bands like that. Like a lot of the East coast, this would have been like 2004, 2005. So there was a lot of like, heavier bands on the East coast that were kind of like forgotten about since then. Like a lot of bands that like spook city records bands played all the time and that type of thing. But, uh, but yeah, I think right around the 2003, 2004, 2005, just the local, like the really localized scene, which is something that doesn't really exist now. Like back then there'd be, you know, my area would have a scene and then Lansdale was 15 minutes away and that'd be completely different. And then Doylestown was 15 minutes from there and that'd be completely different. And Delaware County would be completely different. And then Philadelphia was completely like, not even just different, completely different universe. So yeah, just all sorts of, just kind of staying in my small area, but leaving sometimes. So how did how did you link up or who did you link up with first out of the crew? Was it Bob? Was it AC? Was it Boyertown? Like how did you link up with all these guys? So the first the first person actually I think that I ever that I met was Keith. And um Keith just messaged me randomly one day on AIM. He got my message, he got my uh screen name from somewhere and just started messaging me and I didn't know who he was. I was like, who is this weirdo? He slid in your DMs? He slid into the DMs. His his uh his screen name was Pennywise AFI ninety one. I think that was Keith's AOL screen name. This is Keith from Payback, everybody. Keith from Payback, and he just messaged me. I went to a show in Lansdale. I played basketball, and I came home, and somebody said, "Hey, hold up, you, you play whoa, 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 you play sports? I played sports, and growing up, I played sports. I was I was bad at them, but I played them. 
basketball, uh, baseball, soccer a little bit. Those were the big ones. Basketball was the one I played a lot. But I played basketball at the show and I came home and Keith said, Keith messaged me and said, hey, were you playing basketball at the show? I was playing with you. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> but then uh, not that long after that, actually, like I, I went to school in Boston for a year and I came back and I went to Temple and then um, I went to shows that probably would have been right around when you really started to see me. And then not that long after that, I was just I went to a show with somebody. Bob was on the train on the way home. Uh, he tried to mess with the, he tried to convince the conductor on the train to stop in the middle of, at like a stoplight and just to let him out. And they wouldn't, she wouldn't do it. And he was just arguing with her a lot about just let me off the train. She wouldn't. And that was the first time that I actually met Bob. So that would have been like 2007. I'd seen letdown and stuff before then, but I didn't actually know him. The first time I saw letdown, I thought he was a complete dickhead, but I think time. that I don't think that's unfair to say. That's a good... <laughs> but the last time I saw Letdown, I'm sure I also thought that he was a complete dickhead. So it's not like that much has changed. How soon in all this did you think you actually started identifying as like an actual hardcore kid, or for you it was all about just shows, and you weren't concerned about like hardcore? Or it was probably or... like the end of heart, the end of high school, like senior year of high school. Probably it was when transition just from being into like music and in like in underground DIY stuff into like, all right, I'm into hardcore. This makes sense. Straight edge makes sense. All that type of stuff. Probably right at the end of high school, senior year. Damn. Claim that edge pretty quick, huh? Yeah. I mean, it never, it was one of those things. I never, I've never really drank. No, I've never drank. I've never, I've take, took like a puff or two of a cigarette before. No, you that didn't. Was, yeah. It's, it's not, I'm not like proud of it, but it happened. But other than that, I've never really done anything. So it's just like this. At first, I kind of thought of like, oh, I don't need to, I don't need to put a label on myself. But then I was like, you know what? This actually is pretty sick. So then, uh, from then on, some point in high school, it was straight edge. And then here I am, I'm going to turn thirty five tomorrow, and I don't see any reason why I will never be. So for me, I wonder, uh, especially as a high school kid in the suburbs, in the, like. For those listening, this is pretty much like as a normal America as you can get. Yeah, really normal. So like being straight edge isn't like, oh, um, you know, this is just for me. You probably got some eyes raised or people not knowing what the fuck you were talking about. Like how how would that feel? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely a lot of kids. It felt weird. Uh, there were definitely a lot of kids would start to drink and start to do that like smoke or whatever. A lot of my close friends weren't really, but then some of my close, like, Oh, some of my friends didn't. And then some of my friends like went really hard. And I was, it was like a little confusing. Cause I'm just like, this doesn't make any sense. It's stupid as fuck. But it was just one of those things where it's like, I don't know. It just always felt normal. And like, even if people gave me, uh, did, it didn't make sense to people, especially like when I, my first year of college, I went to Northeastern, which was, uh, like, That's a party school in Boston. It's a party school in Boston. It's all like I came from the suburbs, but it's like that's a different level of like up, uh, upper class, upper middle class. And that was where like I got through high school. OK, but then there is when I just looked like a complete people thought I was a complete freak for not like, yeah, I don't drink. It's stupid. And they'd be like, these are people that are like on a 
Tuesday night, even before then in high school, they'd be getting like blackout drunk and like making a big deal about it and stuff. And I'm just like, this doesn't make any sense to me at all. And so like seeing people like, you know, almost die or feels like almost die, like just like just passed out beyond belief, just like throwing up everywhere. I'm just like, that was, I got through high school. Okay. Like I said, but then first year of college, that was like this, like, I don't, this is, doesn't make any sense at all. But at the same time, all those people would make complete sense to them. So they were just like, couldn't really relate on any level. Now, when you went up to Boston, did you see any cool shows? Like what was the deal there? I saw some cool show. So it was right at the time when Brockton was where shows were. So they're outside the city. So I went to some shows there. Like I saw the panic modern life is war reunion, which there was a Philly show of that too. Um, there were a bunch of like little shows at this place called mass art, um, which was like a art school that just, they had little shows there. And I saw like Bones Brigade and Municipal Waste. I saw a bunch of bands, but like it kind of sucked because I went to school in Boston to find, to like go to shows and go to hardcore shows. And I'm like, this is sick. And then I realized when I left that Philadelphia is actually the coolest place for live music that there was. And what I was searching for was like actually at home. So like, like R5 Productions, I thought that every city had something like that. And then I realized quickly that nobody else had anything near that. When you, when you decided to come home, what were your thoughts? Like, I'm going to not finish college and then I'm just going to be like, like what, why did you go to college? And I guess, do you think that getting into music defrayed you from some kind of like super, like a uh, super involved career that came from your college stuff or no? Oh yeah. Music hardcore ruined my life. That's, that's for sure. Like, uh, I mean, it's the best thing to ever happen to me, but as far as being like normal and having a real job afterwards, it was like, I went to college. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I got an education degree. I finished it when I, at the very end, I'm just like, I don't really think I want to do this at all. It sounds like it's going to suck. And so I just, <laughs> I just graduated and then didn't do anything with it. But with, in the way that I grew up, like my parents were great. They weren't ever too hard on me. They let me make my own decisions. But at the same time, like college was always just assumed. So I don't like regret going to college or anything, but it was just always one of those things where it was just like, well, I'm done high school. So now it's time for college and then finish college and be like, well, all right, here I am. I don't really know what to do at all. So then I just got a, a job at a screen printing shop that dealt with music and was like, well, this is cool. It involves music, even though it was like kind of removed a little bit from the idea of it, but it was just like do something involving hardcore music or do like a normal, you see everybody else doing those. Like they get the office job right away. And now I have an office job, but at the time it's just like, I don't know. It just seems so boring and lifeless. It's like, I don't know at all what I want to do. Just, I don't want to be like the guy who becomes like a, gets a business degree and right away gets on a firm and then is wearing polo shirts and sunglasses all the time. And like, it's like, all right, you're doing better than me, but are you actually? <laughs> well, that's what I that's what I come to know you. Like you like again, there's no big mohawk. You don't have the giant tattoo on your neck. 
but you're as punk as it fucking gets. But, you know, some hardcore kid could walk by you if you're not wearing a hardcore shirt and not even know half of the shows you've ever been to or the shit that you know. So it's always been funny to me because you manage to still fucking kind of carve your own path through shit. As you said, you're turning 35. My man's a house owner. I mean, you're still killing it in life. But I wonder if young Kevin was just kind of like, I'm not even worried about anything because fuck it, I just want to deal with shows right now. That was essentially it. Not necessarily, like I said, shows were something that came like a little bit, they were like a really abstract idea to me for a long time. And that's, I can't say that I regret that because like, I didn't know I couldn't, you can't change anything. So like, I don't regret it, but just the way that my natural progression was the actual shows. Like I, I went through stuff through high school, but like I, I, it would be like few and far between like, you know, two or three a year, a little bit more than that, the local ones. But like, um, but yeah, like pretty su- like I went to school in Boston because it was in Boston. I didn't think about what the college was. Like it was like, all right, Northeastern seems like a pretty good school. I didn't, it's like an it's like a really good school and it's expensive, but it's uh like it's all the people that go there is like engineers. I went there for journalism at first. I'm like, I'm gonna be a journalist, I'm gonna write about music or do something like that. It's gonna be cool. And then very quickly I'm like, fuck this. But yeah, like I said, I chose college because of music, not anything like if I had gone to any school in Boston, I would have gone there just because it seemed cool. I liked American Nightmare and that type of thing. And it's like, all right, cool stuff's happening in Boston. And little did I know, I didn't realize that actually way more was going on in Philadelphia. So talking about Philadelphia, when do you think that you got locked in with like what is now like the squad that we roll with, you know, the agitator, the Will Bob Wilson, the whole thing, like, when do you think you had your moment where you just like joined, like joined their, un- uh, uh, you know, like the, 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 the world, like, wh- what do you think it was? Like, what do you remember what it was? Yeah, it would have been in college for sure. Um, probably like 2007, 2008. Uh, like I said, I met Bob and pretty soon after I met Bob, I have no idea why, but we just clicked right away. And, uh, like this was when he barely had a, a cell phone or, was would be on the internet every once in a while. His screen name was Buff Bob on AIM. And uh, he would, like, I don't know why, but we just started hanging out all the time. Or, sorry, we started texting and talking all the time. And then he moved to the city. And after that, it was a wrap. We were hanging out, like, every single day. And um, I had become friends with uh, some of the, uh, like, Michael Morrissey, who's from Chicago, and he, like, was involved in the hardcore scene there. He was my roommate. And um, a lot of the kids who were in force fed, they moved to temple Ambrose from Maryland. He moved there. So we started hanging out together. And then were you like a I French said, street straight edge guy. Oh, I was original French sheet. Oh shit. So go, go through that house for us. So this was a house that was, um, it was a really around temple is a really bad area. And, but it's a lot of, young, dumb college kids move there all the time. So of course what happens is that people buy up the dilapidated houses that are around shittily remake them and then rent them to dumb college kids like myself. And so Michael Morrissey and I, we rented a room that was on a third floor and was pretty bad. And then, but we were like, well, we're here, so we're not going to get out of it. And then later on our friends, 
um, Ambrose and Rye and some other people, they moved into the apartment that was on the second floor. And the first floor was completely disconnected. So for all intents and purposes, it was a house. And uh, on the second floor, they would do shows there. Some like there was like a six month span that they would do shows there. So like War Hungry played there and Kingdom played there. There was a Freya show that I wasn't at. I, I was think- at the I was at that show, the 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 Davin band show. Yeah. And there was I think Balance Composure played there. And there was some other I think there was a rock bottom show there, like and it was straight up the living room of a second floor. So you hear about basement shows, but this was just a second floor show. And it, it was pretty sick. Um, it was right on Temple's campus, and you just walk downstairs. But your apartment was separate, so you don't have to worry about anybody going up to your to your place. But, yeah, it was like have shows in your house. And I wasn't the one doing the shows as much, but, like, they were there. <laughs> and then, yeah, we were all – you talk about the crew and stuff. Everybody just started hanging out all the time. Um, Agitator started to come in a little bit later because they were from – now the world feels so small. They are from pretty close, but at the time it felt like their Boyer town was completely insanely far away. So they just started coming to shows and then became friends with them. When I graduated college, I would just come down and hang out with them all the time. And then it kind of just Bob and I would still just always hang out every day, but it kind of shifted to hang out with all the agitator people and Keith from payback and that type of stuff. And that was what kind of became the Philadelphia squad, I guess, at least the younger suburban now in Philadelphia, Philadelphia squad. Now, were you guys starting to travel as like a group? Like, were you starting hitting fests? Like, what was that activity like as you guys are learning more and more bands are coming around? Like, what was the activity like as you're trying to manage to get through college at Temple while being like a full-time hardcore kid? Yeah, we'd go stuff like there'd be shows in – uh, Harrisburg at the championship. So that's like two hours away. Easy. We would do that. Then started going to Wilkes-Barre shows. would do that. Um, United Bloods would do that. New York every once in a while. But going to New York, even though it's not, it's not that far, it's such a pain in the ass. So that wouldn't be as much. But, you know, anywhere from like Baltimore to New York, New Jersey, there's tons of shows. It was just like every weekend almost going, just traveling. And it would be like almost the same squad, but you know, you might have a different person here or there, a different person driving, but just like, all right, the show's going on. Let's go there. And it like, it was not even a big deal. Just like, all right, there's the show happening. It's not that far. Let's go. Waxing nostalgically on this. Did you even think you were aware of like the good times you were having or did it all go so fast? You never had time to reflect. I think it all went so fast. It's one of those things like, and like things aren't that different now, but they're different. And so like even where we're like now, it's like I'm a little bit older. It's not quite as much the same. Going to show on a weeknight is a little bit more of a pain. Like it, at the time, it was just like, oh, this is going on. And then also like there, I know that there go lulls up and down, but like the late 2000s, early 2010s, like were kind of pretty sick, especially like in the when there would be shows in like. Shelton, Shelton Church in New Jersey, and then there'd be shows in Philadelphia, and then there'd still be some stuff at the championship, and then Baltimore, like, 
There would be all sorts of different places that would have big shows all over the place. Wilkes Bear was like getting to be incredible, and it was just like it was pretty awesome where you could go to these different places and everybody had this a similar mentality. Like it was all very DIY. Like it wasn't these big, it wasn't like venues. It was just like everybody had the same mindset. It was just, you were in a different area and you had a different scene. So there'd be a little bit differences there, but it was all the same ideas. And that was what, like that really resonated with me and still resonates with me. And that's like one of that's like what I think hardcore is. Now, when you look at this, think about all the things you just said. Like, there are so many bands, like, title fight, trapped in a race. At this stage, all them bands are still sort of on the come up, would you say? Yeah. Either the come up or the peak, where you have, like, bands like Blacklisted and Cold World. Like, Blacklisted were the absolute kings of Philadelphia. Every Blacklisted show was a gigantic event. Even like in hindsight, there were some that maybe weren't as big as other ones, but at the time it was like blacklisted playing. All right, this is the biggest show around. And then they would play. And then two weeks later, another blacklisted show would get announced. You'd be like, all right, now we have another one. And it was just like rinse for repeat for a few years where it's just like, that was the biggest thing. And then uh, TY, I remember when that demo came out and immediately it was like, I heard it. I'm like, this is going to be gigantic. And little did I know that it was going to be like the most influential demo of the next 15 years. But at the time, I was just like, oh, yeah, this is going to be big. And then Title Fight, again, saw them. At, the first time I saw them was at Siren Records in Doylestown. I'm like, oh, this band is cool. And then again, little did I realize that they were going to be maybe the most important Pennsylvania band that I've ever seen. Like all this stuff, you're in the moment. And you're like, oh, this is cool. And then you take a step back and you're like, this is like pretty important. This is, this is like somebody who isn't here is going to be like, Whoa, you saw that. That was like incredible. And that's the kind of stuff that I think is important. Like it's easy to, to think about what you missed and like the, like I missed plenty of bands and I was, I got into stuff right where like a lot of bands I wish I saw the first time I never saw. But then when you see, like think about what you actually saw, it's like, well, I didn't see that, but I did see this and it was pretty awesome. So that's kind of just my mentality of like, you. It, it passed me by, but also at the same time, like just kind of trying to appreciate what you're seeing now because title fight's a good example. It was great. And then all of a sudden it stopped existing and you didn't even really have time to think about that. It wasn't a thing anymore until you sit back and like, Oh, like, I guess that that era and that time of my life is over. And I didn't even really think about it. What do you think the most unsung band was at that moment like that people don't talk about right now unsung band that's so hard because all i think about are the ones that i've seen all the time no 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 like, no 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 no. i know what you, you mean but yeah like mother of mercy i guess is almost a little unsung let down like that type of stuff to me it's like everybody knows those but do people now know know about those bands or realize like how important or big to the area they were i have no idea i mean let down at the time they they uh, they were responsible for an entire generation of kids getting into shows and coming to shows in Philadelphia, like more than any other band really in our area be- that I had seen before, maybe even since. And then that went to Mother Mercy and it became even more. So I think that like, I, I feel like those are like obvious answers and maybe aren't that unsung, but like for for people that are younger, like my age in Philadelphia, Agitator, like a band like Letdown was gigantic because that was just 
you know, they played whatever songs that like they were fast, no bullshit, didn't care. Bob would be jumping off of everything, breaking stuff, like everybody just going insane. And they were go on young. that with the uh, Siren Records. Explain some of that Siren Records stuff. So Siren Records was a music store. I didn't really know it as a music store. I never went there before it was a venue, but uh, they would do shows in the record store and it was a big record store. So there was like a year or two where there'd be tons of shows there. There'd be big Cold World shows and Title Fight all the time. There was that Trash Talk played there a lot. Letdown would play there a lot. Uh, you kicked me really hard in the stomach during Letdown playing there because <laughs> I because I threw toilet paper at the ceiling and you kicked me in the stomach, looked me dead in the eye and said, you're a fucking idiot. But um, yeah, it was just a record store and they just started doing shows there. And all of a sudden in our area, Doylestown kind of became the focal point. And I'm not from Doylestown. So for me, it was like a different world of like, oh shit, there's stuff going on here. And then that led to the Moose Lodge, which there'd be tons of shows there too. Madball played there. There was that incredible uh, Have Heart, Ringworm, Pulling Teeth, Rival Mob, Mother Mercy, few other show there. There'd be like all sorts of stuff. And there'd be like 400 kids who would all travel to Doylestown and sign records and the Moose Lodge and that type of thing. And it was like for a a little while there'd be a bunch of cold world shows there for a little while it was like the center of our area it wasn't as much the city it would be like the shows that were out there yeah i remember that ringworm show at have heart there was hundreds of you little assholes out there <laughs> it was awesome i was actually just talking about that show the other day the ringworm set was like the best one of the best ringworm sets i've ever seen it was like it snowed afterwards but yeah, there are hundreds of little assholes there at the show just making your life miserable, I'm sure. No, they didn't make my life miserable. <laughs> just, like It was like traveling to a secret world. I'm like, who are all these little fucking assholes? Yeah, and that's the thing with like the suburbs. There would just be tons of kids everywhere you went, and they'd all be different, and like people wouldn't travel. But within that sp- specific scene, there would be like tons of people. And that's something that, like, just with the way that big venues are and cities are now, and the internet and stuff doesn't happen as much now. But it's still, there was also a weird thing with the Philly suburbs because there was like suburb on suburb beef. Yeah, yeah. They would all like Lansdale and Doylestown wouldn't like each other, and then I'm sure that I was from the Collegeville, Phoenixville area. They didn't. They were kind of. Uh, they also didn't like the Doylestown area and stuff. And then I became fr- friends with Doylestown people. So then I was in the middle and all this dumb, <laughs> this dumb area stuff that like in hindsight is silly. But at the time it was like, ah, eh, I guess everybody was very territorial. And also the way that like bands like Letdown looked at hardcore were completely different than other, than other bands in the area will look at it too. So like, it was just like, Especially, they were very confrontational. So, if, if they would rub people the wrong way, then it would go sour pretty fast. But I became friends with them right away, and I was like, "These guys, this is awesome! Like, yeah, breaking stuff and being an asshole is like kind of fun." So, right away, it was like, "This is where I'm at." That's the thing that I loved about you is again, it, like you're not the kid who's trying to be an asshole in real life. But you were deeply associated with all the chaos that Bob would start. Yeah. I'm kind of the guy that just kind of stands around when all the chaos is going on. 
like I'm, I'm there in the center of it, but I'm just kind of like, all right, I'll just let everybody else do this. And then I'll just dwell on this. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a weird time because like like you said, like letdown was wilding out. There was people that I don't know if it was out of jealousy or if in general people just weren't really feeling the chaos or just like, oh, it's not our band, so we don't like it, you know, that kind of deal. But the suburbs had more beef with the suburbs than the city had with beef with suburb kids at that time. <laughs> I know. Mainly because the city hardcore shows were mostly suburb kids. Yeah, the city, like, straight up were all, like, all hardcore uh, suburb kids. And then you add New Jersey and stuff in there, too. So it was just like a meeting place for everybody else. And then there, but I think probably because of you, there wasn't as much, like, it, wa- it wasn't as much of, like, all the suburban places coming and then there would be this big summit of, like, people beefing and hating each other there. They would just go to the other places in the suburbs and then that's where <laughs> that's where it all would happen. Philadelphia was, like, the treaty zone. Well, that's the thing where you guys, just by your presence, just by your ability to support so many of the shows that were going on, like, uh, like the, the force that cannot be this, like, Ah, uh, you know, fuck these kids. Like, you guys were beginning to be what was Philadelphia hardcore, and obviously, you know, it's been fucking fifteen years later, and you guys are running Philly hardcore shows. You guys are, you know, Bob's doing FYA. You know, you guys help out every. This is hardcore. Like this, this isn't something where you guys stepped in, had your couple years of being a suburb kid living in a city, and went on like. This is your city. This is your scene, you know? Yeah. And that's how it felt like right away. It's like, I'm in Philadelphia now. There's shows all the time. Like, I'm going to embrace this. Like, it's not everywhere has the amount of stuff going on that Philadelphia does. So when I went to somewhere and could fully immerse myself, it was like, well, I'm in. Like, this is great. If there was a hardcore show in Philadelphia, I was most likely there. If you were doing a show, 99% chance I was there. And then if there was another show somewhere else, there was a good chance that I was there too. Because like like I said, right away, it's like, this is my scene. This is my area. There's stuff going on all the time. Like, I feel comfortable here. Like, my, I'm developing friends here. I don't want to take this for granted. And it's like, right away, it's like, this is the area. And now I'm going to put on for it. And this is like, I didn't feel... I think I was like right after where there would have been some like suburban Philadelphia, you know, uh, tension or whatever, like came in right away. I'm like, Oh, I I never felt out of place or anything there. And it's like, here I am. And now at at the, now I realize that I just kind of like threw myself in. I didn't realize it then. Like I probably just, you said I'd, like just probably materialized in front of your eye one day. And you're like, who the fuck is this person? At the time I didn't realize I was doing that. And now I can look back and I'm like, yeah, I just kind of popped up one day and then was suddenly there for everything. and was moshing terribly to everything. It's like, it was wearing dumb mosh glasses so that my glasses wouldn't get destroyed. And it's like, who the fuck is this person? But at the time I didn't realize any of this. Would you say the highlight of your life was jumping up with hollows and playing this is hardcore? The highlight of my life was playing, was jumping up with hollows and having my first show be at the church and people like Marty have still never played at the church. (laughs) So I checked that one off with literally my first show and uh, I played 10 shows after that. One of those with This Is Hardcore, which was also the highlight of my life. And then the last one was 
with TUI and 108. So for like about 10 shows of a band that called Hollows that you probably can't find too much remnants of and was probably middling at best. Not too bad. <laughs> Not too bad for that. But yeah, you called me, you messaged me on MySpace and you said, do you want to play this <laughs> hardcore? And it was like the week before. And I looked at it, I was like, oh, fuck, yes. But then like somebody was on vacation and all this stuff. And I was calling them, like, we are playing this. We cannot not play this. And people were like going around. I'm like, we're playing. And then uh, I messaged you on MySpace. I called you. You didn't pick up. So I'm like, I'm like, well, I'm probably bugging this guy. Like you intimidated me for, I think for a good reason, but you intimidated me. So I'm like, he's not going to pick up. He's going to be so mad at me. You never responded to the message. You never responded to the call. And a few days later we were on the flyer or we were on the MySpace. I'm like, all right, I guess we're playing. (laughs) I love that. It was MySpace. Yeah. Fuck. And then we played and multiple times that weekend, I would be like, Hey Joe, thank you for letting us play. Hey Joe, if you need somebody else to chair our merch table, feel free. And then both times you would just look at me and just yelled at me, absolutely yelled at me to shut up. I'm like, well, all right, that's it. And then people in my band would be like, can you check with Joe about something? And I'd be like, nope, you can check with Joe about something. <laughs> oh, it checks out. <laughs> oh, it checks out. <laughs> it checks out. Especially in them early, uh, those early this hardcore man. Like I was wound way too tight. And uh, yeah. I mean, for me, and it's not to say quality over quantity, but I really fucking hate a world where someone who is so dedicated to hardcore and putting on for everybody, supporting every band, moshing for every band. If you get a fucking band, your band's going to play. That's how I look at shit. Yeah. Especially when you're supporting hardcore as hard as you were. It would have been a fucking travesty for me to like look for some cooler, cool guy band or something. It's like, nah, we had a spot. You know, um, same thing. We had a we had a spot on the church show when we we're doing that one hundred eight trapped on a race thing out there. There was a spot. Like it makes sense. You yeah. know, like people kind of resented me because my my friend booked the church show. It was the Modern Life Is War last show, and people at at the time were like resenting me, like, "Oh, it must be nice to have friends." But I'm just like, "Well, yeah, it is nice to have friends because I actually go to shows and like talk to people. It is nice to have friends." So it's reciprocated now. Like I go to shows, I become friends with people and now they have a cool show and they say, Oh, your band should play. It should be your first show. And I go, fuck yeah, it should be my first show. Let's go. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, if you're supporting the hardcore scene, you're putting into the community. So when something's going on and you got something to add to it, you know, I mean, yeah, there's always going to be some cool shit, but like you can't sip on your hands and be a band. That's like, Oh, and this something happens now more than ever. Like, you see it now a lot. <laughs> well, like, you know, one guy from the band and then four dickheads show up and I'm like, who the fuck are these ass? Oh, that's the rest of my band. It's like, well, why aren't they at shows? Yeah. Or once you become a band, you stop moshing or just that type of thing. And it's just like, I mean, being in the band isn't the end of you being like a normal hardcore kid. It's supposed to be like the continuation of you being a hardcore kid. It's like the next step up. So like... I think that sometimes it's like once you join a band, still go to every show, mosh to every band. Like that's what makes it fun. Yeah, I think for me, when I see these younger bands, I want them to understand, like, you know, like it's why I hesitate 
we love. Jack's out there. Jake's out there. You know, they're all out there getting it. Yeah. You Another know? one is like Ben Stucky and Spearful. Uh, he marched with every band. So it's like, of course, your band's like, you know, people will help your band out because like literally every single band people are mo- you're moshing to. Well, it's just about the support, you know, and that's yeah. a huge thing that we go back to with this is you guys have always supported hardcore. You guys have su- supported the bands in this area. And again, you guys are fucking traveling everywhere. I mean, at that point, you guys are hitting newbies. I think you guys even went to the America Hardcore Festival, but you guys went like fucking everywhere. I wasn't at that, but I know people that were. Other people were, went to that. <laughs> yeah, like I, like there was a time when like obviously with my own crazy shit, I couldn't travel as much. But I had intel from, oh, this show was good, this band, you know, like, yeah. and you guys were also really quick to hit me to stuff, like, yo, check out this band, make sure this band, you know, like, it was awesome to have some new ears and eyes on things, so. Yeah, I mean, that's my favorite part about hardcore now, is, like, finding out, discovering new music, and now it's easier than ever, so it's like, hardcore still exists, people will tell you that it doesn't still exist, but it still exists, and it's still awesome. It might not be exactly the same as you thought it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, but that's fine. Kids are always going to be different. Like part of it is just like, as you get older, you just have to realize that it's hardcore is not a young man's game per se, but like if kids are doing something that's a little bit different, that's what they're supposed to do. So like you just have to kind of, if you kind of let your brain just kind of uh, turn off a little bit and just be like, appreciate what's going on. You'll be able to see that there's tons of new bands all the time. It's so easy to make a demo now. It's so easy to put it out that like there's new stuff every week and, and like not all of it's good. And some of it, it's incredible. Like that, uh, that band live it down who Bob just announced the show the other day that come out of nowhere. They sound like integrity and you're like, Holy fuck, this is awesome. That band stiff meds that Bob also found them and then told Bob about them last year. It was like, who the fuck is this band? This band is incredible. Like, fast hardcore doesn't sound like anything else going on. Like, what the hell? It's like, it's it's so easy now. You just have to be like, I hate when I see people talking about how like, oh, things suck or like hardcore's not going on. It's like, no, hardcore is still awesome. You're the, Maybe you are the one that sucks. For me, I think a lot of it just comes down to what the person is in this scene for, you know, like, yeah, I, you know, we, we could talk for hours about people that just want to stand behind the friends band and versus being on the floor and putting on. And it's in the people that are putting on and getting excited about stuff. It's the people that constantly have new projects. These are the folks that are really leading it from the front, you know, like, yeah. and it's the stuff, it's the stuff that keeps the real hardcore scene going. And what fucks me up is time and time again, there's almost a disdain, like, because, you know, obviously there's always going to be the new popular, but it really is in the constant state of finding new bands, supporting new folks. And like you said, like being open-minded and being like, hardcore is going to change. And I had to deal with that. I have to deal with that all the time. And I look at you all the time, like, I don't know what's going on, but I don't fucking need to know. Yeah. It's not, you know, I, I just, I know it's hardcore associated with us. I know it's stuff the kids like and it don't all it don't it, it don't all have to be for me you know and through you guys is when i first started learning that lesson you know yeah and it like it's kind of a weird lesson a hard one but like because especially if you never stop going to shows you start to like 
it doesn't seem like the world passes you by. And I'm not saying like I'm super old or anything, but like at the same time, it's like, I mean, I am like 15 years older than a lot of these people coming around and like getting to the age where like I could hypothetically be their parents. So it's like, I have to remember that like, all right, I am just because I don't think I'm this way. Like I might be this way. So it's just kind of accepting that and then being able to that. And that's when you'd be like, all right, well, hardcore still sick. We went to FYA last weekend and like, it's like the most current fest of all new bands and every band is it like, Every band is good in their own way, and every band was good. And you can go to a fest like that and just be like, well, hardcore is awesome. New bands are awesome. They're a little bit different. They're all like – sometimes people like like to say that like newer hardcore bands all sound the same. And some are similar, but like you go to something like FYA and you'd be like, all right, well, there's definitely a lot more, and it's a lot more diverse than I think. And it's just like awesome with a good vibe, and you could just like – if you don't know every band going in, you'll come away being like, well, I saw this band I didn't know. I saw this band I didn't know. And then next year, they're the bands headlining or close to the top. And like, that's what's really fun about hardcore is that things can change really fast and just regenerate. And when a band breaks up, that's fine. There's going to be another band afterwards. That's the weird thing, too, how quick these bands cycle in now, if you think about it. Yeah, they cycle in all the time. There'll be new bands. You'll be like, this band is incredible. And then they'll do an LP and then they'll break up or you won't hear from them again. And you still listen to that that record and still be awesome. And then there'll be another band that does the same thing. Well, I also think maybe I'm fucking crazy. I think that's the way sometimes there's an argument made that some of the best records are made by bands who only had one record. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times the band or the first record or the demo, like that's what people go back to. And because uh, I guess there's probably something like in the beginning when you're really excited and energetic about something is in some ways when you can make like your most like earnest stuff or whatever. You don't overthink it. So like that's the other thing with hardcore is like bands don't overstay their welcome and it's always regenerating and that's what makes it fresh. Now – how do you manage as you're getting older, not now, but like as you're going through all this, like, did you have any ideas like career thoughts or you just like, this has become a huge part of your life and you just kind of glided through. I know at one point you even worked for the uh, evil John Bose corporation. <laughs> I worked there for a while and for a while I thought that was going to be a career, but it didn't work out and it's, that is what it is. But as far as careers, like I worked there for a while and it was cool to be involved in like a, my uh, hardcore like revolved around my everyday life, which was awesome. And then it kind of revolved around my everyday life too much where you can't really go to shows and separate your job. And, and you don't realize that when you start, then after that, I um, got a logistics job and I thought that might be a career. And then that fizzled out. And now I'm like uh, kind of involved with like the pharmaceutical industry. And I just started that job and might be uh, that might be a career job, but like, Job was always secondary. It was always going to shows, hanging out with my friends, hardcore, and then I'll figure out something that'll be like, help me get by, whatever. And then as long as it doesn't like detract me from going to shows or do whatever, go from there. Let me derail you for a minute. Yeah, derail all the way. What's the first wrestling match you've ever seen in your life or you can recall? First wrestling match, I can't remember the first wrestling match that I ever saw, but the first one that really resonated with me beyond a uh, like a casual level was the Mankind versus Undertaker Hell in a Cell match where Mankind gets thrown off, which you've probably 
even as somebody who's not as into wrestling, I'm sure you know that match. I'm very well aware of that match, yeah. actually. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that so was the, the one where I watched it. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? So when would you start? Because uh, wrestling's a, a a big, a big, you're a big wrestling mark, actually. I love wrestling. Yes. Wrestling is my so, hobby, I guess. <laughs> not actually so, wrestling, but enjoying. Yeah, you're, you're a super fan. You're a mark. Mark. I get it. So here's the question is, like, how old were you when you saw that? Well, I was like 10 or 11 then. But when I was younger, I had a babysitter that got me all sorts of wrestling figures and cards and stuff. So my parents hated it and they wouldn't let me watch it. I didn't know how to watch it. But it was like kind of ingrained very early with like Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior figures and all that type of stuff. So it was kind of a thing that was there, but I didn't know none of the... I, I was young, like, right after the Hulk Hogan era. So, like, when I was a kid, it wasn't as big. And then when the Attitude Era hit, then that's when I really got full-blown in. So, like, 10 or 11. I'm Stone wondering. Cold Steve Austin and all that stuff. Oh, okay. That's the era. Yeah. Now, now that you're a little older, do you do you go back hard? Like, the same way you would go back hard on hardcore stuff and check out old old matches? Or have you long kind of scoured the uh, the archives for all the old school shit? Oh, I watch old stuff all the time. I think uh, the way that my personality is, is kind of obsessive with certain things. So like with hardcore music, I'm always trying to find new stuff. And then it's the same with wrestling where it's like you think you know one thing and then you find out about another old guy, a uh, different guy, and then you want to find out his stuff. And then from watching that, you find out his stuff. And then you find out that there's stuff in Japan and there's stuff in Mexico and then there's stuff on the indies and that's like almost like DIY, almost like hardcore is, and then it can relate to that on a different level. And then it's always just kind of figuring out new different stuff. So there's a lot of stuff going on. It's much like hardcore. It's kind of funny. The wrestling communities, hardcore communities can be similar where some people are like, Oh, wrestling sucks now. But then you'd be like, well, wrestling doesn't suck. It's just different. You have to realize that it's different. You have to adjust your expectations and what your tastes are. And then from there you can enjoy it and like, you know, ignore certain flaws and then whatever the good thing is, you'd be like, oh, this is sick. But then also it's just like hardcore where there's all this incredible stuff that was going on in the 80s and the 90s and you can discover that all too. So it's pretty sick. It's like, and you'd be surprised at like how endless wrestling is if you really are into it, like how much stuff is out there. I mean, the the correlation and just the fact that so many people from hardcore, I mean, so many people involved in hardcore and hardcore punk are, are huge wrestling marks. It's, it doesn't surprise me that there's hand in hand, but I, I, I love the DIY aspects to the small territories. And, you know, there's a lot of punk rock in fucking just being a wrestler, like an indie wrestler, you know? So it's, it, 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 it evens out, you know, like I think that the two can come hand in hand at so many different levels. So if you have that affinity for like a hardcore punk band, from this era and you hear, oh, this, you know, check this. It, it, it all, it all to me makes total sense, especially now with the internet. I mean, for us, we used to go to Franklin Mills. Bushy would run the cart, but like he was, me and him were more into like, especially back then was like the VHS from Japan with like the electric eel match. That's yeah. what I was more. That's like yeah. the shock. And you can go, you can go online and you can watch that. The electric. I literally, I literally, I literally Googled it when I was really getting hard on the YouTube and, and started paying for the, got rid of the ads. 
I'm like, I'm watching that electric heel match. I got to see this again. <laughs> the one guy in that match, Matt Sinaga, I went to his restaurant when I was over there, but I didn't see him there. But he has a steakhouse. All right. So that's where I wanted to get to. So you're not just like a wrestling fan, but you travel. Yeah, I travel. I, I, I did Japan trip, basically go to wrestling. And I did it like right before the pandemic. And it was the perfect. I'm incredibly glad that I did that because you can't even go to Japan now. All right. Run me down the highlights of your Japan trip to go for wrestling. I got to know this. And people who are wrestling fans, I know Jeff G, there's going to be a lot of people who are really into this. <laughs> um, yeah, this is when half the audience is going to turn off and then the other half is going to be stoked as fuck. So. <laughs> um, I went for wrestling. New Japan is a big thing right now, but New Japan was not going on when I went over there. So it was a bunch of like the indies. And Japan, like there's indie wrestling in the US, but in Japan, like, there's all sorts of different companies and they all kind of have their own niche. So I went for one uh, company that's called pro wrestling Noah. That is like uh, kind of a descendant of one of the big uh, like nineties companies there. And I saw the great Muto wrestle who you are probably familiar with. I'm very well. <laughs> yeah. He still wrestles. And I think in his match, he like brought out a fire extinguisher or something and uh, <laughs> got his, got his uh, opponent with that but yeah so i i saw that show and that was kind of like a more hard-hitting show um then the next day i saw a show that was uh, co a company called ddt which uh they do a lot of like comedy based and real wrestling so like there's just all this absurdist comedic stuff going on while actual wrestling kenny omega was on that show who's a pretty big star now and then the day after that there was a show called big japan which is like their big thing is death matches so there are some deathmatch stuff that was on their show. Big fan of deathmatches. Big fan of that. Unfortunately, it was at the uh, Sumo Hall, which is a big venue there. So that means that they can't How do... big is big for them? It's like 10,000 person. The, Holy the way, shit. The way that they do it, I think that there's like seven or 8,000 people there. The way they do it is, especially at that venue, is they have what they call sumo boxes. So they're not seats. They're seats up top, but there's like... You go in and there's this little area that is like squared off and you just sit there and it's for like smaller shows. It's two people per box. And for really big shows, they do four people per box and you're just sitting like on the floor watching. And it's like really weird. You just like, you can lie down if you want. It's really like you're just sitting in this box watching, but no, no glass tubes there, but still it was a cool show. And then, um, I went to some shows at this place called Cork and Hall, which, you know, the, the First Unitarian Church is the coolest venue in the world. It's the best venue in the world. Yeah. Cork and Hall is essentially like the First Unitarian Church of Japanese wrestling, where it's like a 1,500-person, 2,000-person place. They've done wrestling shows there for 50 years. Everybody has wrestled there. It's like, like the ECW Arena in Philadelphia, but times like 100. So... Going there was pretty awesome too. And then uh, there's this wrestling store there where you just go like almost like a record store, but it's only just wrestling stuff and it's all cheap. So you can just get whatever you want, all these old magazines that are cool as fuck and memorabilia and all sorts of shit. Even if you only like wrestling, you can fit a whole week there. And then of course it's Japan. So there's all sorts of other cool shit that's going on all the time. But yeah, it's fucking awesome. I'm going to go back at some point just for wrestling, but who knows when. I love the idea. I know that a huge thing that you do, I know you and Bob, 
you go to everything from like GCW to like everything. It seems yeah, like these GCW is running Hammerstein Ballroom this weekend, so we're gonna go up to that. And as a as a hardcore punker, but also like as a fan, it kind of is cool because you don't want to be too much of a fan at a hardcore show, you know? Like yeah, but you getting them seats and the, the wrestlers coming down. That's when you get to break out the fanboy shit, right? Exactly. Yeah, because like. People have asked me before, what do I like more, hardcore wrestling? And it's like, well, it's not even a question because hardcore is not a hobby. It's ingrained. Like, I am in on hardcore. Like, it is my lifestyle. It is. There is no, for better or for worse, I'm going to wake up a hardcore kid. All my friends are going to be involved in hardcore. Like, it's ingrained in me. Where wrestling is just the hobby where I can just kind of turn off everything else and be like, oh, yeah, wrestling is pretty sick. I'm going to go do this and enjoy it. And that's where the difference is, where it's like, that's the hobby. Hardcore is not the hobby. Well, it's a life. It's it's lifestyle. Yeah, I I, I have friends. Obviously, we we share friends. Really heavy into wrestling, and I it must be fun to like lay back and have fun and not be like, oh, I can't nerd out to this specific guy because he's in this band and in hardcore you don't do that. Yeah, like it's, it's awesome. It's, it's fun to be able to like, oh shit, you know, yeah. like, and especially now that like Bob and Andrew accordingly, like they started to come to shows too. And like the GCW shows that we were talking about, they're like death match with like crazy stuff going on and light tubes and all sorts of craziness. So it's fun to go to a show with them where they haven't seen it as much and just see them completely lose their minds. Doug from the rival mob came with us one time too. So like he had never been to one. He he's in on wrestling, but he hadn't been to one of these shows and we could just sit back and just be like, and now you're going to see something that is absolutely batshit and you're never going to see it before and just see their reactions to it. That's also like incredibly fun where you just be like, this is awesome. You just enjoy who you like and be like, you don't have to be too critical. You can just be like, this is awesome. No, I think that's a big thing. We're at like an outlet beyond hardcore. Obviously, we're we're required to say that you're you're responsible to only go to hardcore shows, never do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you but, can't. You can only if there's a show, you have to be at that show. If you're not there, you will be talked about in the car afterwards as not being there. Yeah, it, it, you know there is a thing that where this becomes such a deep part of our lives. You got to have that moment of fun. Yeah, and I and like wrestling, to me, I have moments where I was hard in on wrestling, and by the time Hulk Hogan had a black beard, I was done. <laughs> and that's right when I was like really getting in. <laughs> yeah, like you can miss me with that bullshit, all that. But that's like when wrestling was getting to like TV, and yeah. I don't know. I, and then there's I, I ECW love it. too, which was like the kind of like the DIY hardcore. Well, like thing that shit on. we went down to. That shit we went down to on the L. There'd be like two L cars full of people from Frankfurt to Junietta, Kensington, go down there. That was like a lot of fun. Yeah. That's when it was like still chaotic and fresh. I remember my friends went to school at North Catholic High and they had wrestling there. That was pretty fucking sick just to see like a short version of that, you know, like just right. in person, you know, like in this fucking gym, we bought tickets, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, Philadelphia is a pretty legendary wrestling town. So kind of low key sometimes, but it's like over the past 30 years, there's been like a, a lot, especially like go back to like the DIY and the hardcore mentality. Like that's Philadelphia wrestling. Absolutely. 
Well, I know for me, when I think about just like going back to just in hardcore in general, there there is a moment where you could get like some serious burnout if everything is just shows, if everything is just this. So I love the idea that you you went so hard. I love the idea you pulled Bob into it. It took me a long time to pull Bob into it. Years and years and years. I can't. I'm actually kind of stunned that he's into it now. But uh, he he was always like very casual. But I try to plant the seeds for new stuff. And he hated it. Now all of a sudden he's in. He watches AW Weekly. He wants to go to all the shows. It's pretty awesome. I think, again, it goes back to showing people just that, you know, in this conversation. Like, there's going to be other things we're going to do. Yeah. You know, like, we're going to have fun. For me, when I, I, I love fandom. I love people who can show love and appreciation without slight and that's something that you do really fucking good like i try i i think it i'm sure when i was younger i would do say stupid stuff on the internet and stuff but then i quickly realized that it's just like what's the point you can like things and not like things but what's the point of like if you don't like it that's fine who cares nobody cares well i think more than that is like to take a step back instead of looking for why you don't like something the opposite is also true where you go out there and you love things for what they are yeah. and you appreciate it because so much of this is so fleeting. Like we're talking about time here, you know, 16 years ago you were finding out about hardcore and really getting involved, right? As you say about 2006, 2000, yeah, 2000, 2004 through 2006 was probably like the real, germinating hardcore time for me for sure could you imagine that that quick at 16 years no for a while i'd be like oh yeah this show was like one year ago this show was two years ago and now it's like oh that show was six 17 years ago like one of the monumental shows for me was the horror show return show fucking like monumental the one in 2005 yeah, and like monumental, and for a while that landmark. Like, oh, yeah, that show was like a year ago. That show was two years ago. Like I said, that show is about to be seventeen years ago. It's like holy fuck, seventeen years ago. <laughs> nah, I mean, and you think about it is, you're thirty five years old at midnight tonight, and that's another reason why I wanted to get you on the show because this is your birthday <laughs> week. No, it's important, man. I know. I, 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 I want to in tw- in twenty twenty two. This podcast, obviously, we got some really cool, like, hardcore, like, heroes and guests that I think are going to be fantastic. But while this is something I'm really excited to do, <laughs> the podcast, I want to celebrate people that have made my life better. And there's a lot of there's a lot of what I've done in Kevin Hare, you know, like in the chaos shit that I can't even remember because as you said in the Christmas episode we're going to get into I just set moments just yell for your name yeah <laughs> Kevin and then who knows who knows what crazy task is no, being I don't put know on. what the mood is I don't know what I'm going to do but I just know all right sometimes it's fun <laughs> sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's a pain in the ass but it is what it is so I just gotta go. I just gotta deal with it, or else I might get a karate chop to the throat or something. I might get a karate chop to the throat, <laughs> even if I do a good job. So, <laughs> but it's like what we were talking about on the Christmas show. Like, 
yeah, I'm, I might make you go ahead and get all these cases of water and steal a shopping cart. And like, it's just like, but without you doing that, the stuff that we do, because I say we, because the minute you're involved, it's it's not just my shit. Like, yeah, man, you're out there running across fucking downtown Philadelphia track it with fucking six cases of water in a small shopping cart. So we, so the bands have water. Like, this is a collective thing that we do. And having someone like you on hand just to make that little thing easier. Like, how the fuck do I get water? Oh, Kevin will just go and put it in the shopping cart. And, you know, yeah. like... And so it's like you—you you are a part of what the finished product that people come to love. And if there's no Kevin Hare, some of the stuff that I've pulled off would not have been as easy to pull off, if not at all possible in general. Yeah, well, I—I I, I especially appreciate that, but I really think that it's important when you're a part of the scene. Everybody talks about like giving back to the scene and you can do that in all sorts of ways. You can be in bands, you can do zines, which I've done a few of those like here and there and that type of thing. But like really one of the things that you can do that people don't really think about is that you can just be present. And I don't mean just going to shows like if you example, if you come to like a Philly show and you come an hour early, there's going to be stuff to do. And there's going to be stuff that like, if you just say, Hey, what do you guys need help with? There's going to be something. And that's how you can just get in. That's how you can come. You can, you know, join a part of the 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 crew or whatever. Like, if you're just present in there and like willing to be like, "Hey, here I am. What do you need? Do you need anything?" Like, that's really important because like, there's the people that put on the shows like you and Bob, but and like do a lot, and the shows wouldn't exist without you guys. But like, if you were to just do it by yourself, you would lose your mind. You would go insane. If Bob just did things by himself, he would go insane. And he does go insane. So it's like if there's just people that are there that like don't care and just want to help the greater good of hardcore shows, like it makes things so much easier. So that's where like to me it's always like DIY. Like DIY, like I said, pretty early in music, it was like you just do everything yourself. So if you show up, I'm not I'm not the one putting on the shows, I'm not the one in bands, but that doesn't mean you can't help out and you can't contribute and you can't be like vital and you have to make yourself that but it's easy to make yourself that all you have to do is be present and be around so like i wouldn't know any of my friends if i wasn't around i wouldn't know you we wouldn't have we wouldn't be going at walmart to walmart at 1 a.m because your saa sca garb got destroyed and we had to go to walmart and then you're screaming obituary scream like making the most tortured face screaming i'm in pain to obituary we wouldn't be doing that (laughs) We wouldn't be doing that if not for just going to shows and like trying to help out and, you know, being present. So like, that's all the stuff that's shows are cool, but like the relationships and those experiences, like that's all way cooler. So if helping out helps facilitate that and makes everything better, that's what I want to do. I just like, I can be lazy and I can be a pain in the ass, but if I'm present, if there's maybe I won't do this thing and I'll just loiter around over there for this one thing. But if you need me here for this there, I'll, I'll do it. What do you think the if you had to put a top two or top three craziest things you've ever done in the name of hardcore for me or Bob have been? Dude, fuck. You're putting me on the spot and I feel like they're so insane that I can't even think of any. Uh, here's one that didn't happen, but it's just oh um 
it's just an example of what could happen. Where a few weeks ago, you texted me at three o'clock in the afternoon on a work day and you said, what are you doing? And I said, I am working. And you didn't respond. And the next time I saw you, I said, why did you, what did, why did you ask me what I was doing? And you said, I needed to go pick up an ice bath. <laughs> and right. I said, what? <laughs> like, that's that was a, a failed mission. Yeah. That's a failed mission. <laughs> it was like three o'clock on a Tuesday. And I'm just like, that's the type of stuff. Like there's so many other things that I just, I'm drawing a blank, but it's like in the middle of setting up for this hardcore, it's like, go do this, go do that. Like, instead of watching this band, you're going to have to open up these boxes. We, we hold the, this hardcore book boxes 70 times throughout my life. I've, I've I hate those them. things. I hate them so places. much. And it's just like the mundane stuff is like stuff. Like even just after this hardcore where, um, the one year, the the one year after the bad luck set when it rained, oh, and we God, were in that was the so miserable. The we were outside in the pouring rain. And we're like, well, our literal only option here is to take care of all this stuff in the pouring rain. There's no other option. There's no way to fix this problem without right now. And then you're just sitting on the edge, and she said, "You fucking idiots, stop, come inside." <laughs> and you were the one that had to be like. All right, you guys are going too crazy. <laughs> just you know, stuff like that. I I love you, and there's a there's a time when the team that year especially specifically was very hard for me, and you guys showed up and was like, "We're not going to let Joe down," and it's like, "Yeah, man, it was raining, and I wanted to get the done. I want to be good done at five in the morning." But seeing you guys out there, I, it just fucking killed me. I'm like, no, we can't do it this way. Yeah, Jill, little Jill was out there, I think, like, hauling tables or a cinder block. And you yelled at her specifically, like, stop. Stop, Jill. Like, what are you doing? And it's like, that's just the type of stuff where it's like, all right, it's this hardcore time. We know we're going to get there early. We know it's going to be a clusterfuck. We know it's going to be miserable. But if it's... If it's not miserable for us, it's going to be more miserable for somebody else. So somebody's just going to have to do it. And then it's, that's part of the charm and part of the fun of it. And now I can't imagine this hardcore without doing all that stuff. Well, that's a huge, that's it. See, this is the thing that we're talking about here. You know, uh, not only is it kind of one of these things where like it takes a village, but it does like, it's not, it's not in one dude that makes a hardcore show at, a DIY level happen. And I mean, yeah. And, and that's make no mistake. This hardcore is completely DIY. It's at the electric factory, but like it's, it's run the, like a hall show. It's the, it's, 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 giant the most, it's DIY to a fault, which is great. Like, I don't mean that negatively, but like, it's like two DIY. We're making, we're using the same tents for 10 years. I no. think crackers not going to let us have those tents. Back, <laughs> by the way. He shouldn't, he should hold it. He should burn them all. I I don't even know. Like it's so crazy to think about having to replace them all. Yeah. But that's the thing is, is that's what brings us all together. I mean, and again, it's like I said with AC in the Christmas episode. Like you guys went from the kids who were at all the shows to being the kids who played all the shows, and then something invested in you where you guys realized like all of this is our and you know to steal from Jocko like you guys took serious ownership of the situation and you guys became the ones that showed up first and left last at every, this is hardcore. And without that, without that group of people who 
were there to see me throw a market at a marker at Brian St. John's face. <laughs> or to the first time I pulled up with all them foundation blocks and you're like, Oh cool. Now we're going to be lifting foundation blocks, you know, like people trying to build insane tents in the like wooden tents, circle, circular tents, like all this craziness that people don't see. They just see the like stealing billboards just to make tents and all this craziness. Yeah. Yeah. Like these are the things that without you guys, the final product isn't a thing. And it's, it needs to be said that it's in a chaos that like these, I mean, I kind of get worried about getting old. Cause it's like, I don't want to be 55 and 60 years old. And what are we going to do? Sit on, sit out. I mean, maybe hopefully we're still friends, but it's like this chaos that we pull off together, you know, like, I mean, even at FYA, like I'm trying to run the door. I'm trying to make sure kids in the bathroom are covered in blood. Like, it's like the yeah. funny shit that happens. Chaotic. Speaking of yeah, FYA, like, as an aside, we get back to the normal thing. Um, sure. Have you ever seen the the Wire? You watch the Wire. First season only. Okay. Well, in the second season, there's a character where, and this is a spoiler, but if you haven't seen it, whatever. There's a. Character I got so where- tired of the whole the whole. I didn't. I got four episodes in. And I was so pissed off about McNulty being on a boat, and I'm like, "Why do I care about these? Why do I care about these fucking people?" Well, so uh, one of the characters is meeting with uh, one of the like you know drug kingpin guys, and called the Greek, and he thinks he's meeting with the Greek or whatever. He thinks he's meeting with somebody, and then it turns out that the the actual Greek, the guy in charge, is has been sitting at the bar at the diner bar. Every single time he's in there listening, and the person had no idea that that was the uh, that was the guy in charge. And FYA, this year of you being at the door and everybody seeing you, and Bob just sil- sitting behind the table, and literally nobody seeing, knowing that Bob was actually the the actual guy in charge of the chaos. That was maybe my number one highlight of uh, Bob the Greek at FYA. Just nobody realizing that he is actually the the man in charge of all the madness. My goal this year at FYA was no one asked Bob anything. <laughs> like this shit should be figured out before you have to say, Bob, what should we do? Yeah. And it kind of made me happy. A couple times when I did go in the room for shit, Bob sitting there, school bag tight to his back, staring off in the space, watching the bands that he booked. And that's what I wanted for him because of all the years that he, you guys all did shit for me. It's like Bob, Bob loves every one of these bands so fucking much that for all the fucking shit he put into it, unless it's something really crazy, yeah, the fucking security at the venue, they can come talk to me about bullshit. And yeah. then if Bob doesn't like the decision, he'll tell me, you know, like, no, we're going to do it this way. But the more we can take off his hands, by the time, and that's the fucked up thing that comes from shows. The more you prep ahead of time, which is something that I learned, as obviously the last couple of this hardcore is minus the physic. The reason why phys- this hardcore is kind of crazy is we physically build shit for the fest, you know? Yeah, and we're running around the day of go to Home Depot, go do this, go do that. We need more of this. Yeah, it's oh, like, this isn't here yet. The chairs aren't here yet. The t- uh, cinder blocks aren't here yet. Oh, we need this. And that's yeah, just every the- year. Every year we order the fucking tables and chairs at the same time. And it's like, nobody knows <laughs> what, nobody knows what time they're coming. Like 
It's the same fucking order. It's the same fucking company. And then we have to rely on Cracker sometimes. And who knows when he's showing up? Yeah, like <laughs> it's like there's a chaos right there. But like, but with FYA, because so much of it's self-contained in that room, the only thing Bob should do is ask specific questions and give specific details. Everybody involved in helping Bob should know what their job is to do. And the number one job is the think, you know, like, let's do this, the flow chart. Can I make a decision that is not going to make the situation for Bob harder? Okay. Well, then what is the decision? This is the decision. Okay. If Bob makes a decision, he'll come and say, hey, do it this way instead. But I know that I don't, I hate when it's something that's not super critically, absolutely important. And someone asked me, I'm like, why can't you just figure that out? I don't need it. You know, like it's part of that whole thing. Like, so I came, I, I love that I get to come down to FYA now. And it's I've, it's like, a, it's a, it was something that after the first time I'll never not come. Yeah. I don't care what I have to do. I Same. might fucking buy a fucking house in fucking Tampa. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I'm fucking serious. Fucking Airbnb it 12 months, 11 months of the year. And then one month of the year, it's Philadelphia, <laughs> you know, like me, you and Ty. I, yeah, I mean, that's how it's going to fucking be. But the thing is, is my goal is to make Bob's Fest the best for him so he can relax and enjoy some of it. Yeah. You know, I'm a, and also, you know me, I'm a little bit different chaotically. I like be like, I'm fucked up. I like, you like, I like chaos. I like chaos. You're and telling I like, me that you like chaos? No. I, I like chaos. <laughs> I like, I like organizing shit. I like making sure shit goes good. Like it's what I know. And yeah. so, yeah. And I mean, this he's... year it was incredible. It was like one of the craziest hardcore shows that I've ever been to. So, I mean, it, it's, that's a, that's, if you're a young kid, and you went to FYA, that's, that sets the bar pretty fucking high. Pretty high. Pretty high. You know? That's that's a bar pretty hot, but I'm glad you saw that because like people are like, oh, you know, thanks for the fest. I'm like, Bob did everything. <laughs> yeah, My Bob job is just to run this motherfucker. Yeah, um, like people talk about like the FYA crew or the FYA staff, and like of course there is one, and there's there's people that help him on the ground. There's people that you know spiritual advisors or whatever. But like at the end of the day, <laughs> it's a one man show. Like <laughs> like. Other people get credit for some things, like, sure, but it's nobody thinks about something as much as Bob thinks about FYA. So it's just like no, his brain, his brain actually surpasses mine because <laughs> in the lull, in the lull between the COVID stuff, he's had the opportunity to jump out first, and I love him so much. He actually called me the other day. He's like, "What the fuck are you up to with this?" <laughs> like he gave me an ass kick, and I'm like, "Fuck," <laughs> you know, like. And, and yeah. but I mean, we already started talking about next year, so <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's well, you guys are always a year ahead, you know. And that's how when I say every day of the year you spend working on a fest, and that's how you have to do it. I mean, um, it's hard, it's hard for this is hardcore right now because we haven't had it. And then with the venue and shit, there will be a this is hardcore in 2022, and I know that in my heart, I'm going to be really excited for what we do, but there's also like, I had to bury some bitter feelings about the 2020 and the 2021 shit 
to to really be able to say fuck it now we're back in gear and it's actually Bob's conversation with me that kind of got my ass like you know stop being a fucking bitch get the fucking get past the little things and make shit happen and today there's a bunch of activity that would not have happened had I not had that talk with Bob and that's the kind of shit why you know like yeah I would love I would love nothing more to sit back and sip on some iced tea and watch the bands, but Bob needs people that can just put their ass behind the table, make sure people get checked in, do the things, talk to the staff. So not everybody runs up to him every five minutes for there's a problem, you know? And then what I watched was that the more that weird staff people could come up to me, the more often they did too. And I'm like, Oh God, thank God they're not fucking bothered. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yeah. It was funny, the, one of the times Bob went up to the security guards to talk about something, and the guy thought he was just like a random kid. And he's like, this is my fest. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Bob. And I think that even it took a minute for the guy to realize what Bob meant. Like, no, this is my, like, I am the person here. I am God. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's so fucking crazy. But, that, I mean, that's, but Bob would do anything for me. So it's like, you have to return the favor, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um... No, I think the logistics that we all kind of pulled together is actually pretty interesting. I mean, dude, all the different venues just we just talked about, like from fucking small record stores to fucking you guys in French Street and the house house shows to Bob and the South Philly shit to, you know, like there's always stuff going on, you know, like the PA set, set up and break down, the mopping of the church, yeah. you know, Broad Street it's, Ministry. Especially Philadelphia, like, like to go on what you're saying, there's always, it's always what, like two or three years for a venue most. And then there's always, then there's the next one. And then it just keeps having to recharge and figure out something new. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's always, there's always a cycle of who's working with us. Who's not, you know? um, And and so it's actually good to see some of the same faces stick through and can see all of it. You know, like, I mean, think about this is like, you can say, hey, I saw Bad Seed open for the first Cro-Mag show back with John Josephs and them. It was awesome. It was a good show. Death Row played. They were awesome. Yeah, it's like, and then in the same breath, you know, like three years later, Sick of It All, TUI played that place. And now that place doesn't have, they'll never have shows there ever again. Yeah. You know, like there the is Hirsch something. There There are all the shows that are upstairs there. There's another Cro-Mag show upstairs on the floor. Oh, yeah. I mean, like that's that's the stuff that, you know, we're going to get into the next chapter this way. Like whatever that fucking Sonny thinks about putting shows on videos and people watching them. There's so much people don't get from watching a video on hate five, six. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sonny, Sonny is ruined hardcore. You know this. Well, I mean, <laughs> that, I mean, that's the yeah, truth. Life. He's, he's ruined my life. He's ruined hardcore. Just, I, I he, just, he's become like your arch nemesis in a way. <laughs> I think so a bit. He's the one. He always. He's the one that always goes too far. But I'm just poor innocent me. I don't antagonize him at all. Do you strike first or him strikes first? I strike first every time, and then he goes. Then he goes too far. I know. Often he sends me stuff that you send to him. <laughs> so go through for people listening. So it's not just an in, in yeah, inside it's joke. Two inside jokes. Go go into some of the 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 
the Kevin Hare Sunny um Psy Warfare. So I'm trying to think like, of some wh- good ones. When oh, did it uh, start? Well, like when did it start? How did it start? And like what's practically most of the back and forth between you two? So it's I don't know. It started we we've known each other for more than a decade at this point. And now I think that our relationship is just built on making the other one laugh, but usually at the other expense or whatever. So if it's just, I mean, the really easy thing is just to talk about how, how uh, Sonny just begs all the time, constantly, his entire life is begging on the internet. So it's really <laughs> easy to just, to just pick up that type of stuff and then go back and forth. But the most recent one, and I won't go too in depth, but where Sonny impersonated my financial institution emailed me and I went into panic mode because I didn't realize it was him and uh, thought that my all my stuff was hacked and reported it and all this stuff. And then I had to go back to them later and be like, so about all that stuff I brought to you, it's like not really a big deal. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and and the, the, the reactions that they gave me. So he won that one, but it just constantly see the thing is that he, uh, he has, uh, he has the, um, the, uh, the audience. So it's really easy for him to put me out there and make it seem like I'm the bad guy. And I just had to figure out ways to respond. Well, one really funny one was, uh, I, after one of this hardcore, I think like 2013, I just went online and, uh, I posted like, why didn't you post the videos yet? In one of his threads, like you should have posted them already. And he responded <laughs> a little bit and then it just went insane. I just kept going on like, this is fucked up that you don't have these videos posted. And all these people started to pile on against me. And, and, uh, I would just kept going and like, they'd be like, Sonny would just say like, Oh, he's crowd killing people. This guy is a crowd killer. He doesn't go to shows, all this stuff. And I would play into it. And then like people were threatening me. I was talking about beware. And they're like, why are you making fun of beware? That's a part of your speed scene. I'm just talking about how much of a dickhead the singer is. And all these people are going insane. Like, like going full fledged, like this guy needs to get beat up when he goes to Philly shows, like all this stuff. And all I'm thinking is like, I'm just laughing at the whole thing. Like all you people don't have any idea that Sonny and I are texting each other about this right now. <laughs> uh, one of the greatest things about, our giant group of friends is that you guys got to experience the tattoo shop Christmas Eve dinners. Oh yeah. All the time. I love it. I, I think, I think it's been mentioned before, but one of the things that I love about this hardcore and the crew and getting to know you and by proxy, everybody else better is that you have all these people that would know, like not interact with each other at all that, we're all go to hardcore shows. We're all on the same page. So then we can go to these dinners. We can go to barbecues. We hang out at shows, after shows. And it's all just like, here we are. And like, I would never be talking to these people. Like I said, I'm just a like quiet kid from the suburbs. And like all these psychos and then other people that are crazy in different ways. Like all these people come together. And that's what Philadelphia hardcore is. And that's why I love it so much. So yeah, enjoying all those dinners and stuff. It's all awesome because here we are. We're united by this thing this goal this idea and it's great i mean <laughs> christmas eve dinner was so wild because it's like tat shoot uh tat crew people it's hardcore kids you know it's like everybody and you t- and sunny i made sunny sit next to me so i could torture him 
and he's telling me this story that he fucking pulled on you. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I don't know how you're gonna get him back. But yeah, I mean, a huge part of a huge part of all of our friendships. I mean, whether it's you guys and going after dinner for your birthdays, and with us. I mean, now with Mike being the official uh, custodian of all after show food eating things, um, whether it's Burnsies, whether it's Villa, you know, like. We spend a lot of time eating food together, and yeah. it, it makes so much shit fun. You know, tons of people laughing, and there's always mixed crowds, different people. Like it's it's some of my favorite it's, it's some of my favorite moments. In fact, it's probably my favorite thing to do in life. Like I love hardcore shows. Don't get me wrong, but being at a table with like ten to twenty or thirty people, like. And everybody like remember those pre this hardcore dinners and shit like that like yeah. the amount of people like you're talking about thirty five or forty people in that small the, room the pre this hardcore video dinners the my favorite ones are the post this hardcore ones. oh my god we'll see we'll go into this for a minute so at the end of the fest when everyone's tired it's the fucking end of the fourth day all the tables have been put away the chairs have been thrown away one year sean got mad because we broke like 12 chairs because we just started throwing them we were so tired <laughs> the first year we didn't know what we were doing we didn't leave till like four or five. Oh my god and then so we always go to the diner after the fact yeah and it's whoever helps out comes at a diner and then it's just recapping the entire, and then like sometimes the thing takes forever just because everyone's laughing and they're hearing all the stories. It's fucking people great. are falling asleep at the table while oh my people god, people are just yeah, delirious right. and and like it's great. And that's I'm like you know recapping the weekend, telling all the jokes, like like lifelong memories and recapping everything. Like again, that's all the stuff that really hardcore has really given me. You know, like the shows are awesome. But it's being at the shows that's really good. Like, the, it's not the actual sets. It's like being there. It's the people that you meet, and then it's the stuff afterwards. Like you're saying, like that's what's great about hardcore, and it's unlike any other thing. Like you can't explain how you go to music stuff, and then that's your life, and those are your friends, like normal people. They don't understand. They just go, oh, you went to a concert. It's like, yeah, I went to a concert, and then I hung out with that person. And then the next day, I also hung out with them. And then we went to another show, and then we drove to this, and we went to this show. And then we saw these other people from this area that we don't see very much at this show. And then we went and visited there. Like All that stuff doesn't make any sense to anybody else. But to all of us, it's like the best shit that we've ever experienced. It's the most fun thing that we've ever done. My life would be so much emptier if we didn't have these times where we would just go out, hang out, do like deliriously laughing afterwards about whatever fest we were at. Like that's what's hardcore is really about. Like all the stories and stuff you hear about hardcore, there's some that are like involving sets and stuff. And that's like, of course it's great, but like all the real stories are like everything that happens around the shows. And that's, what's like, I don't mean to minimize the music. Of course the music is like the most paramount, but like really like everything else that around it, that's what makes hardcore hardcore, not just any other type of music that you can pull up on Spotify. No, I couldn't agree. I mean, it, you know, the trope of saying like this is a family, it, it, it goes it goes deep in the app, but it's also like we're not fucking squares, you know. Like we're probably in this world of things where, I mean, yeah, you have family, but like, I never hear you be like, "Hey, I can't come to the show. My my cousin's daughter has a birthday party." You know, like yeah, this is our life. This is what we do. It's like. 
Oh, this band's playing. Oh, these are our friends. Oh, this guy's doing a show. Okay. Oh, we're traveling here. Oh, yeah, there's a Philly show. And then it's like, oh, it's a Saturday night. Well, where are we eating after? Are we going to Triangle? Or, hey, yo, we're going to go to Burns because there's nothing going on tonight. You know, like, or I'll send you that ominous text. What's up with Burns? You guys are like on our way to wrestling. I'm like, fuck you in wrestling. <laughs> fuck you, motherfuckers. You know, like, or when we used to all go to David's, like, it is the camaraderie. It's the shared experiences, not only of just like the things that we love, which is the music and the bands and the, you know, all the shit that comes with it. But it's just, I think because of our group, as it keeps expanding, we do a lot of shit together. Not just like we do a lot of shit as in like we go eat and we do this and we do that. Like Bob and I went to Kevin Hart, you know, like fucking, you know, like we produce a lot of things so other people can enjoy them. And part of as we're producing them, we're enjoying it because we're hanging out with each other. Like I said, you know, like hanging out at FYA was like a bigger version of hanging out at the church at the door all night. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then and then also conversely, like for all the good times, everybody's there ex- having fun. But also like when things are bad and when your life is awful, it's also there. Like example, we've talked about this before, but the Chromax show that we talked about. Right, that was the upstairs show at the Broad Street. The day yeah. before that, my one of my best friends that I've ever had passed away tragically, like twenty one. And at that show, I was a fucking mess, and I was just outside, and you're sitting there, and you're like, "What's going on?" And this was before we even knew each other that well. Like you knew that I, you just knew me from shows, and that I was friends with Bob and everything, but like we didn't even know that much. And I was just like, "Hey, you remember this kid that used to come around with me? He died." And you just sat out there with me and I fucking, I didn't mean to cry outside the the Cromag show talking to you. I did not plan on doing that, but we weren't even like friends. And you were just like, Hey, I understand. I've been there. This sucks. If you need me for anything, that's fine. And then you just sat there. You just listened to me for like, I don't even know how long it was. It was probably like five minutes, 10 minutes. And then I went inside. I watched the Cromags. I moshed insanely hard. I kicked Matt Carl square in the ass and it was fucking <laughs> awesome. But like, that's the other thing of just like where hardcore is, is like, that was literally, I mean, I'm not joking. That might've been the worst 24, 48 hours I've ever had. And I went to a show. I was with my friends. Agitator played. I wasn't even that great friends with them then, but they were there. I was with uh, everybody else there. I'm assuming Bob was there. I don't, can't even remember, but like all my friends were there. Hardcore, even if they weren't there, hardcore was there. You were there. And like that made one of the worst things that I've ever dealt with so much easier. It wasn't easy, but it was so much easier than if I didn't have hardcore, if I just stayed home or if I didn't have the outlet in general, like who fucking knows how I would have reacted. So like, again, like we talk about, there's all these positive things, but like when, when bad shit is going on, hardcore is also there. And that's what really like, that's, what's also insanely great and important about it too. I knew that happened. I just didn't, I didn't know how to bring that up or if it was worth bringing up, but that's something that immediately, immediately reminded me of one of our first interactions. And I mean, yeah, I'm definitely going to torture some people and break a lot of balls, but you know me well enough. If someone's got something really bad in real life to go on, I'm always there for them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the thing about hardcore. Like any of us, 
like you for sure, like any of us, if you go to a show and something's going on, like somebody's there for you. And that's like, it needs to be said sometimes. Like, I, I think that maybe it's hard, but like everybody's there. Everybody, if you go to shows, you're part, you're in. Well, so. that's exactly it. Like I didn't need to know everything about you. I saw you. I'm like, I knew there was something up with you. And the thing that always gets me when I think about that is like, I know that you knew that you weren't feeling good, but you needed to be out of home and you came to the show and I wanted you to just be there at your best for the show so you can get off of that stuff. And that's the thing that I think sometimes people get so wrapped up into themselves or like, I don't really know that person, but it's like what you said, the minute the common factor that we're both here at the show, we're both representing Philadelphia, we're both, you know, like that's enough. Like I said, you heard me say this a million times. This that show that happened, we're the only people in the world that are in that room. So like if you show up to one of my shows, as you have done many times, you're one of the only people on the entire fucking planet there. So you matter more than everybody else in the entire fucking planet is in that room at that moment. So there needs to be some level of empathy, you know? And it's stuff that I learned from some people in hardcore sometimes from a void of not having that, you know, like we didn't always have the kind of stuff that we have now. And it's through you guys and what we built up in this last fucking 16, 17 years that really changed the face of Philadelphia hardcore. And so, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship and it's a also like a reciprocating thing. What we built, other people have built up top of, and then we all together can enjoy it. And so it's really one of the major reasons why I wanted to have you on the show because you beam an energy of just excitement, of just positivity, and not in the let's be positive, but like you legitimately <laughs> love this shit. You live this shit. And again, like you're not the most heavily tattooed, head tattooed. You know, I think I've seen you in one Fred Perry ever, maybe in my whole life, or just a polo. You know, like you're not your typical archetyped hardcore person, but you're as died in the paint as a fucking hardcore person someone's ever met. And you ain't going nowhere. You're a fucking lifer. And that means the fucking world to me. And over the years, you know, like you're my fucking boy, man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, uh, before we leave, I got to mention, you know, I was never dogging you when I told you jujitsu would change your life. I knew like, you know, like there's a confident, there was a confidence thing in you. There was a sense of you needed to have some kind of physical purpose. And I go to, I go to Keith's apartment for some UFC shit. No, you go after UFC. Yeah, I missed it. That's right. I missed the fight. <laughs> so, but uh, some shit talk was made. So I showed up. Some ju- some, some on the rug jujitsu happened because I just started. And of all the guys in that room, you're the only one who achieved the ble- uh, the blue belt, and you're the only one who still trains all the time. And it was because I was so excited about jujitsu at that time, and because I knew it isn't just like for the guys who are. You know, I love the UFC, but it's more for the Kevin Harris of this world. I knew if I could just get you to like it, that you would love it. Yeah. And I, I still to this day say, 
Kevin Hart's a fuck. Uh, Kevin, Kevin, uh, Kevin Hart's a fucking blue belt. Fuck you up. How many times do I tell people you'll? F- I tell people regularly that you'll fuck them up, and they look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, yeah, something is gonna up. get me in trouble. Nah, because if it's your purple belt, then you're gonna get your brown belt. Yeah, like. I love that you stuck with it, man. I love that you have the heart to fight, but you're not the guy who wants to just punch somebody. There's so many amazing attributes in you that it was impossible for me to not have you on the show and talk about this. And I hope you enjoyed coming on here, man. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And like I said, yeah, the jujitsu thing, it was like, I always kind of want to start something and you were getting super into it. And then my friends started to do it at a, a local place around here called Century. And I was like, ah. And then I had a really shitty day at work. And I was like, this, something's got to change. Like, this sucks. Like, my, I hate my job. I'm depressed. Like, things, there was like a specific bad day. And I'm like, I'm going to go to jujitsu. Maybe I'll be able to go tonight. And it didn't work out that I could go that night because, like, the guy didn't get back to me and stuff. But within a week, I was going. And then I was like, I'm never going to text a single person about going like I will see them there, but I'm never going to ask if anybody is going. And then, you know, it took me a, a little while to get in the routine. And then once I got in the routine, it's like, this is awesome. Like absolutely life improving type of thing. Like I'm not going to say it's for everybody, but it's absolutely a thing where like it, it made my life better for sure. Cause instead of just going home and just wallowing around, it gave me something to actually focus on and structure and it humbles you. Cause like jujitsu sucks ass. Like people say it's fun. It's not really fun. It sucks, but that's what makes it fun. So it's like, so yeah, now I go pretty much every day and it's like, I'm still not any good, but it's great. It's part of my every day. And it like absolutely has made my life better. So and talk about nobody going, Matt Carl has started going back again. So hopefully someday he will, he will get the blue belt and then beyond. I love it. I, um, in fact, when I hit you up to do this, you're like, I can do it after jujitsu. And I was so happy you said that. Like, <laughs> yes. Fuck. Yeah. Well, um, do you even want to be tagged in social media? Do you do you have anything you want to shout out? Like you got anything going on? What's got or now? You don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. You can follow me on social media, Stan underscore underscore Hanson on Twitter. Not fair to flare on Instagram. I mean, if you want to follow me, that's great. Uh, I'm sure I did a zine last year during COVID called Quarantined, which you can probably find online somewhere. That was pretty cool. And I just did one of those and that was it. You're in it. And other than that, I don't really have anything. Go to shows. Go to Philly shows. Um, if you're there, say what's up to me. I will be around most likely. Um, I'll probably be the guy hanging around with you or hanging around with Bob. So um, come say hi. Uh, I could be a little bit aloof. I admit that. But I love meeting everybody, and I, I'm not the best at introducing myself. So come around and then come out to eat with us and hang out with us. And I'm getting old. Like I said, I'm turning 35 tomorrow in minutes. So somebody else needs to fucking hit me in the head with a guitar and then take over. So nah, man, I love you, man. And early happy birthday to you. And, uh, I look forward to not only seeing you on the mats, but when this hamstrings back to full power, you're going to see me in that pit, Kevin. <laughs> I hope so. But please, for the love of God, not too early. <laughs> no, nah, we're, we're, we're baby stepping it. <laughs> All right, man, you take care. Yeah. Thank you. You too. There. Well, again, this is the important thing that I was saying earlier. If you listen to Kevin's story, you'd find that there's probably so many Kevins in the world, but also there's really only one Kevin Hare. 
But when I say there's many Kevins, there's tons of people who have done a lot for their hardcore scene in these small little incremental ways across many years. You know, I mean, for those people that have reached out and said like, hey, you know, I just want to do more for hardcore, showing up, paying to get in, supporting bands, telling other people about it, maybe becoming friends with, you know, people in your scene, helping people if there's needs a hand. You know, it doesn't have to be formal positions. You don't have to do things for attaboy. Kevin's never wanted a formal position. He's never liked the attaboy. And, you know, as you see, he always is doing things in the name of hardcore or for Bob or for myself or Philly hardcore shows in general or for FYA. And it's fucking great, man. It's absolutely fucking great. And um, I hope you enjoyed it. Got two more of these in the oven coming up hot. And... I really look forward to what we got going on in the coming weeks with the shows, what we got with the podcast, working on this fucking This Is Hardcore Fest. But, you know, I hope some of this will come to mind that your impact is felt just by being a part of the scene. You know, if you're really looking for that Tinker Tape Parade or that, you know, acknowledgement or, you know, people knowing you across the globe, then you have to work really fucking hard and it's not all, it's not all fucking roses either. But the thing about this Kevin here, he's just a dude who likes hardcore and he does not fit anywhere else in the world but with us and maybe some wrestling fans. And we're all better people for him. And that's why I had him on the show. Happy birthday once again to Kevin. Make sure that you check out all of our social medias and for those looking for links and just want to check shit out, this is hardcorefest.com. This is hardcorefest on Instagram, T I H C Fest on the Twitter. We're on the Facebook. That's easy. We all, uh, Bob has FYA Fest on Instagram and Twitter. And I think even on Facebook, we can also find us at phillyhcshows.com. You can find us at T I H C Podcast. We have all the show links and whatever. Check that shit out. And also, you know, reach out, say what's up. Hey, um, next week or so, Richie Mancuso, about to have a bambina. His daughter's getting ready to be born. Cannot fucking wait. Hopefully we can get together, G, Richie, and I, and do a rule of three before Richie enters full father world. But early congratulations to our brother. Thanks for everyone who supports the rule of three podcast, and we're going to keep the fucking thing going. Thank you for the support on that. And... Make sure that you are supporting your local scene if you're not from Philadelphia. And 2022 22 is going to be a better year than 20 and 21. The amount of shows that are popping up, the amount of fucking tours that are popping up. You are not fucking ready for the kind of shit that's going to happen. Not just in Philadelphia, not just on the East Coast, but all the fuck over. Hardcore is back, better than ever. We're going to keep the energy of this podcast going. Thank you and good night.